There we go. Now it's recording, oddly. <laughs> All right, turn it down now. Cool. You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since GGTMC, the saucy lads are back on the air. Whoa, there we go. You got the sausage invasion, man. Yeah. I got my two boys keep storming in, stealing all my sausage. <laughs> all my super sata. Oh, too hot for you. I'll take that one back. Sorry, pal. Them's the breaks. Hijack in the show with the yeah. cured meat. Yeah. Them's the breaks, man. Yeah. Use all the breaks. <laughs> you, you, uh, you make the cured meat a little spicy, keeps the kids away. Yeah, man. You all right there, bub? All right, give daddy a kiss. Spicy. It is spicy. Go up some milk. <laughs> no, it's all crummy. It's no, all crummy. We just we get, you shouldn't dip your cookies so, so long, then. Gotta master the technique there, mate. Yeah. What's that? I did, and it was all crummy. Well, I'm sorry, honey, but listen, daddy's recording in the show. <laughs> you guys have jacked it. So we give me give daddy a kiss and go upstairs. <laughs> I love you. Mwah. At least the milk was crummy and not the cured meat. Yeah, <laughs> then we got real problems. I'm, I'm impressed. William ate this. We usually do about a quarter of it, uh, our super and sausage hot. Uh, I, w- I would do it all hot if I had my way, but I have kids and a heart, so <laughs> I don't. But uh, yeah, William took a piece and he ate it. So nice. All He's right. a man. He writes a passage. <laughs> so, your sausage loving podcast, we are back. <laughs> and in more ways than one, we do love sausage here at the GGTMC. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, uh, yeah, we are back. This week we are sponsored by DiabolicDVD.com. Got a little extra special stuff for you this week. Um, we're going to do Night of the Comet, which is uh, probably going to um, be an interesting review. And I know a lot of people are probably anticipating that. We've got a lot of fans of that one out there. So it's interesting. We'll get, we'll get our approach on it. And we'll never seen it until now, right? So, so there we go. And then we're going to do The Town of the Dreaded Sundown. Now, both of these are on Blu-ray, and we're doing them, but we're we're doing an extra film because the Evictors is also on DVD with that release. Which, by the way, that Evictors DVD looks really nice. 
It does, and we should say that both those uh, Town and Evictors are Charles Pierce films. Yes, so that's a little bit of a Charles uh, B. Pierce double deuce. A little spark plug himself. Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> we'll be doing a little bit of that as well. So anyway, uh, I think Town of Dreaded Sundown may have been on our roadmap. Maybe both those films have been on our roadmap since way back in the beginning. I can't remember, but uh, I know the Evictors had not been, and neither one of us had seen You'd seen an hour of it. I had never seen yeah. it. Um, so... This is a chance to go ahead. I mean, why not cover it? It's there, right? Uh, well, I save it for later. Give you a little trilogy GTMC this week for your free ear holes. Uh, so that's what we're covering. Again, head over to DiabolicDVD.com. Order some stuff. They're great guys over there. Uh, go region free. Have a blast and enjoy. That's what we do. <laughs> so, all right, let's get into what we've been watching. Uh, you got a lot this week. I haven't. I don't have a whole lot. I forgot to talk about one last week, but I'm going to talk about it this week. Uh, not a whole lot. Again, playoffs, hockey, football, uh, basketball, reading, comics, trying to diversify my portfolio. So I got six in, which is a respectable number outside mm-hmm. of the show. So I got eight, nine in total, actually. Yeah, that's good. It's a pretty respectable week. That's good. Um, I want to bring up the IMDb for one because I have to read you the. Uh, synopsis of sorts that um, someone had posted because I think it it sells it quite nicely in, uh, in a sentence and I fucking can't find it you gotta be kidding I'll find it anyway let me talk about what I've been watching because it is that uh, segment it's a night recording and yes, I should say is. this is the last episode this is the end of an era for me yeah this is the very last episode I'll be recording in this house the whole run of our show has been on my end, has been recorded in this house. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we'll be in a new house uh, in five days. So a whole lot of boxes in here. And yeah, it's crazy, man. Crazy. Um, first one I watched was one that was a rewatch. I hadn't seen it since high school. And it was uh, a Todd Browning joint, Freaks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I've been trying to not nap quite as much. And uh, spend a little more time watching movies when my youngest son, Braden, goes to preschool for two hours. Um, so I watched this again, and it's it's just an astonishing piece of work. Um, yeah, it is. It's under 70 minutes long. Um, yeah, really exceptional across the board. I really, really enjoyed it more. I'm glad I revisited it now, because I want to say it was high school, maybe, last time I saw it. So anyway, uh, great stuff. I'd love to talk about some Browning on the show. I think he's he's criminally underappreciated. Mm-hmm. Kind of way ahead of his time. Next up was a film from Mexico. I found it, and the English title is A Rat in the Darkness. <laughs> and the Spanish title, which I will butcher mercilessly, is Una Rata on Les Oscuridad. Your Spanish Night. sounds awful Italian. Uh, it does. That's a little more Italian than Spanish. <laughs> Spent a lot of time with Italians, as we say down here in Kentucky. That's it. As I, I still got fucking super out on my breath. So, <laughs> as I said that. So, yeah. now, this user review. I'm going to read you the sentence. Okay, two attractive women move into an old house infested with. He says invested. He means infested with rats. Soon they are stalked and molested by a ghostly transvestite. <laughs> well, yeah, I'd be down to watch that. Yeah, it's uh, it's a fucking sleaze fest. It 
<laughs> doesn't quite go for the gusto like um, the Infernal Rapist or yeah, yeah, Dos Punks. Well, that, it's a little before that. It's 79. Yeah. Infernal Rapist is kind of telling you what it is right there in the title, and it doesn't let you down, right? So Yeah, it's true. But this one was fun. There's like a big-haired, middle-aged Mexican woman who gets naked who it's kryptonite for me. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really sleazy. So... Yeah, it was fun enough, you know. I just just to be able to say I watched a film that can be summarized as that. <laughs> a ghostly transvestite molests some. Um then I decided just this kind of maybe doesn't count in some people's eyes, in purists' eyes, but I counted it. I watched a little thirty five minute um documentary that Pitchfork did on one of my favorite musicians, uh, Mac DeMarco. I'd seen that Carl Bresnan watched it, so I watched it. It was it's called Pepperoni Playboy, a mockumentary about uh, Mac DeMarco. Yeah. Just kind of him over in China and you know touring and stuff, and it's uh, it's a good little piece. Um, I think I've seen a movie before called Pepperoni. Uh, <laughs> Pepperoni Playboy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think I have. It's a little different than uh, a little different <laughs> your documentary. Bit, yeah. yeah, it was documentary in some ways. Yeah, it was <laughs> a verite, man. Gonzo yeah. thereby. A sausage was spicy thereby. Yeah, <laughs> that's right, man. Um, then I, I don't know, I was in the mood for horror because kind of in some ways, all three of the films we did this week were horror-ish. So uh, yeah, to, yeah, they were. So, yeah, so horror, horrific elements. So I want to do something contemporary on Netflix that kind of fell into the realm of horror. And I kind of threw it up to some members in the group. And the <laughs> one that appealed to me was Here Comes the Devil. Yeah, well, I've been thinking about watching that. I remember Scott and Kat over at Maybe Clickers. I think they saw that at TIFF, actually. Oh, did they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did a review of it, and uh, they kind of rolled the dice on that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's on my queue. I might watch it at some point. Is it good? Yeah, it's good. It's an Argentinian director working in Mexico, I believe. One of the nice, pleasant surprises for me early on, other than, actually, I won't even get into that. That's a biggish statement to say. Uh, is <laughs> is the the male lead in the film was the older the oldest brother in um, oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. in uh, the cannibal film yeah, we, we are what we are where we are yeah 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 um, and I like his wife in this I got to say not conventionally beautiful but something about her very appealing she's very sweaty in the film I think that's uh, what did it for me uh. I'm over caffeinated so I'm going to let it all out of the bag tonight I'm going to say. Jeez, I feel like Zom right now. <laughs> Make sure you check the hot tub in a little while. Oh, I totally will. I totally will. Um, <laughs> then, that sounds that sounds like rather like uh, disgusting. I don't. Nobody knows what we're talking about there. <laughs> that's wicked. I, I'm gonna go there right now. Yeah, and I'll probably. But anyway, the uh, yeah no, I, I I've read about the film. I love the idea of the film. I don't know. I, I'm looking. I don't know. Uh, Scott and Kat weren't impressed with the execution of the idea. <laughs> Yeah. Well, here's the thing that I should do. It was suggested. Here's the thing. The film, oh, man, it's past someone's bed. See, my kids were out at Nunda's house, and that's what happens mm. when they stay up too late, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I let my son stay up late one day this week, and uh, things went off the rails. Wow. It's the emotional equivalent of um, of Larry Cohen's The Stuff. It really it is. It becomes yeah. a melty mess. Yeah, it does. Very quickly. That and uh, a little bit of 20 days after, 28 days after, just yeah. manic running through the house. Yeah, it's true, man. They while out when that happens. But um, I admire the film because it doesn't rely on lazy 
tropes. It doesn't just cash in with a few 70s drive-in stars. It has high-minded ideas. It's shot well. I got to give it credit where it's due, and I think the director's one to watch. Mm, okay. So it's a good one. It's it's solid. You can certainly do. I'd say that's like a seven, seven and a quarter for me. Nice. That's good. You know, so it's solid. Then I coincidentally had I know he's pretty pure of heart, so he probably wouldn't have thought this, but it looked like I totally ripped off CDR today because <laughs> of all days, I happened to watch a, a Danish crime film eight hours after he did, and I didn't even know he'd watched it, and it was uh, one called Northwest. Yeah. Or or in Danish, Nordvist. <laughs> And uh, yes. this uh, this you're, looks well, really on. I can tell you this: your Danish doesn't sound Italian. It doesn't <laughs> <laughs> sounds probably a little Swedish. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, yeah. Must be that. This one, must uh, be that pump there, by. Yeah, it must be a real pump. <laughs> yeah, keep it handy, man. Yeah. Um, get a smart food off the desk. <laughs> you guys, I think I've asked you seven times over the past five years. You guys have smart food uh, in the U.S., right? Was it that that white cheddar popcorn? Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Yeah 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 yeah! That that bag of that doesn't last long here. No, it didn't. I going through what three quarters watching. Here comes the devil. Here comes the smart food, man. <laughs> yeah, here comes the white cheddar. Yeah, I destroyed it. But um, mm. uh, Northwest looks early on to be in this sort of same vein as uh, Pusher, mm-hmm. the way it's kind of shot with some over the back stuff. Um, it's quite a good film. I mean, it's not an earth shattering film, but again, like a seven point two five, let's say. It looks at a couple of young guys. They're, I think, 18 years old and 15 or 16. They're burglars. Uh, they end up kind of, you know, ripping stuff off to sell to this local guy. And they end up in, in bed, so to speak, criminally with um, with someone who's a little heavier than him. And it sort of, it, it, it's, it's a really, really good film. Uh, it doesn't reinvent the wheel, but uh, well acted. It casts two real brothers, uh, the young brothers in the film. Uh, together and they, they work quite well together and it's got one of the leads is the like the heavy in the film is uh, if you've seen a hijacking he played the cook not the cook he played he was like the brawnier Danish guy in that mm. so this is a good one I quite liked it um, again directors one to watch nice and then finally another film from a young director but I jumped over to South Korea and I uh, did one called Montage. Montage. We're talking montage. about a motherfucking montage. Yeah, this is uh, this was a good film. Um, I think it it falls into the same trap that a lot of Korean films do in that little bit too long. You know, they can't seem to do the editing in <laughs> South Korean films. Is I would I would almost have to believe that they expect their films to be 120 minutes at the minimum. Uh-huh. It's crazy. I mean, it's so rare to see like a like a ninety or a hundred minute South Korean film these days. But it falls into that trap of uh, it just it's it it's a bit overblown and overreaching for its own good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Korean film, even though there was a lull, you know, five six years ago, um, they set the table. I think better than anyone. Like they can do um really good looking slick glossy film oh yeah they're slick even better than hollywood frankly mm-hmm. yeah you know on a much smaller budget this film has an interesting premise it looks at um uh a child abduction and murder and the 15 year statute of limitations is basically a day away from passing before and they haven't caught the criminal and uh it's going to pass and even if they do catch him he'll be scot free when an identical abduction happens. Hmm. 
And it follows three characters, the current investigator, the investigator from the previous case, and the grieving mother from the, um, the original case. It juggles all those things well. Uh, great, you know, well acted. It, it sets the table really well. The first hour or so is really riveting stuff, but it much like Berlin File or any number of South Korean films of the past few years that I've really dug. It just it seems to just do just tries to cram a little too much uh, too much in there at the back end. It just it got a bit ridiculous for me. I, like here comes the devil, and oh, no, here comes the devil. Uh, I saw the devil. There Same thing. Just <laughs> yeah. a bit ridiculous at the back end. So. You know, but still good. I mean, still, you know, seven, seven and a half territory. Yeah. So. They seem to always have, like, one set piece too many or something. Yeah, and one one twist and turn too many. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of that, it's, too. It's too bad because the film's very solid otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it's a cultural thing or maybe it's just a business thing. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. But it it is interesting that just about every modern Korean film, South Korean film you see, has that kind of... Has that kind of uh, I don't know it's it's almost like a flaw, uh, and it's 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 interesting. I mean, it really is. I mean, I I think of all the ones we've done on the show, almost every one of them have had at least something that I think could have been cut out. And it's uh, I'll tell you, it's um, yeah, it's too bad. I mean, see, there's a few films that I think, and it has a thing too, like a cultural thing of you know, a bit of goofy humor, not a whole lot, thankfully. But, um, yeah, it's just too bad because I think the film really sets the table well otherwise. But you look at Bollywood films, and they throw a little bit of everything in there because they want to entertain everyone. They want to put something in for everyone. So some of it could be cultural. Some of it could be just the yeah. industry over yeah. there, and people move the way the others move in the industry. But uh, right. what are you going to do? Well, I'd say, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a discussion for another time. I'm sure we'll talk about it when we do another South Korean film at some point. But oh, yeah. I'm sure, you know, if you think about uh, – you know, well, never mind. We'll get into we'll get into it when we get into those type of films. <laughs> I was thinking about the influence of Bergman and on you know that type of cinema and how when you still see those films, you can still feel a lot of Bergman and all those. You know, just it's, it's cultural stuff. You know, definitely, yep. definitely. All right, uh, okay. So I, I, one I forgot to mention that I watched last week. I'm gonna go ahead and mention it this week because I forgot to write it down on my my ice cream book here. Uh, was Kings of Pastry. Which is a it called Kings of Pastry? Pastry, yeah. It's so a documentary. <laughs> it really was. It was a doc. It's a documentary on uh, on well on pastry, but it's um it's on Netflix Instant Watch uh, um, here in the states, and uh, I don't know. It just sounded interesting, and uh, I do love pastry. Uh, I do find it fascinating what people can do with the. Uh, breads and candies and sugars and things like that anyway it's basically about these guys who they get to wear this certain color it's like the highest honor in the french pastry world and they have to go through this contest and making all these things i mean they have to make stuff like lollipops they have to make fancy cakes i mean they and fancy just just all kinds of crazy shit i mean you wouldn't believe the stuff these guys can make out of sugar and uh, and just hard candies and breads and all these things it's insane and the stress these guys go through, some of these guys, amazing. There's a moment in this literally where I covered my mouth. I was like, you know, like I gasped. Oh, I bet. <laughs> so uh, it's not a great film, though, because it feels like it almost feels like it's shot on like an iPhone. I mean, it feels like it's shot, like, you know, like an HD camera. Maybe it was it was released in 2009. And I'm just not seeing it now. So it feels like it's it feels like HD cameras about four or five years ago, you know. Uh, but the, 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 I should not refrain people from checking it out. I mean. 
I'm a big documentary guy, but I really like documentaries when they get into stuff I don't know anything about. I don't know anything about the French pastry world and the upper echelon. I mean, this is like, you know, this is like the giants of the pastry world. <laughs> so I don't know anything about this stuff. And so I found that totally fascinating, just completely fascinating. So I definitely recommend people check it out, you know, especially if they want to watch some, some guys walk around in white with the big hats and, you know, hey. Uh, but you get uh, people from all nationalities and stuff uh, trying to get these. Uh, I don't know what they call the collar. I can't remember. Maybe I should Google that. Not that I, collar. <laughs> not that we we have uh, the uh, the. Um, I'm sure they're not listening to the show, but they may. Hey, maybe maybe we got. Uh, um, there's actually schools for French pastry and things like that. There's one. You know in, who would know? Zane would know. Yeah, there's one in uh, Chicago. Chicago, um, and uh, one of the guys comes from that in the. Uh, the kings of pastry. Okay, it's called the, the honor of wearing the blue. It's okay. Hang on, let me go back and check it out. Give me one second here. I'll read. I'll read this off to you here. Um. Anyway, the the uh, shit. I just missed. I just fucking clicked on the wrong thing. Anyway, it's the honor of wearing the blue, white, and red striped colors given to the winners of this uh, contest. Not a contest, but a like judges get together and stuff. And this is half directed by D. A. Pennebaker, Pennybaker, and and somebody else, but it is oh, a yeah. fascinating. It's fascinating look into a world uh, that you know I didn't know anything about. Like I said, so very cool. You should you could have doubled it with that red obsession wine one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be good. I, you know, I'm a bit of a foodie. I mean, a lot of us are, and uh, especially when it comes to things that are kind of crafty, like your pastries and your cakes and your uh, uh, well, even a, even a great donut. You know, I'll talk about a great donut for an hour. If it's a great donut, you know. So, I mean, you heard uh, of the cronut? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, but it is good. It's good. Uh, so definitely check it out. I recommend everybody check it out. It's on 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 the Netflix. All right, I watched uh, the Hobbit: Desolation of Smaug. Um, I, I posted when I when I put this up on uh, you know what I've been watching or whatever. Um, that uh, it's funny how these films make the first trilogy look like this low budget like treasure of creativity. I mean, it really is. It really is kind of the same thing as the Star Wars trilogies for me. It's like the Seriously. first the first trilogy kind of has this antiquated almost tangent. You know, there's this this very like the substance you can touch. There's so little CG, and even though there's these models and a lot of fakeness and stuff, everything just feels so real in some ways with the Star Wars movies. And then when you get to the new ones, they feel like a bunch of people walking around on a stage, and you know a whole bunch of animated stuff going in the background. But that's what these films feel like now, and it's really a shame because The Hobbit is actually for me is a better story than the Lord of the Rings stuff. But they made a mistake here. You know, they're going for the they're going for the money. And I understand it's a business. I get that. They'll make their billion dollars off these three films or whatever. Uh, but this film is a real mess because, I mean, talk about a film that feels like a filler. This thing, whole thing feels like filler. There's like, you know, you're just watching this whole thing just to get to the next film. Because, I mean, even ends, it's got a very anti anticlimactic ending. It's it's just very, ugh, a real mess, a real mess of a movie. Um, some parts of it look really nice. Uh, well, the parts that are real, obviously, because New Zealand's a gorgeous place. And, uh, you know, so some of the acting is good. I mean, you got classically trained actors in there. So, you know, you, who are the, uh, sorry to interrupt, who are the leads in that? Well, you got uh, Martin Freeman as Bilbo. Uh, and, but, uh, and he's fine. But he isn't really very good in this one. He was better in the first one. And uh, you have, of course, you have uh, Ian McKellen as Gandalf still. And, 
and stuff like that. But you got uh, this one actor who plays the king of the uh, the elves, the king under the mountain. I think Thorin is his name uh, in the movie. Uh, Richard Armitage is his name. And I said when I watched the first film that this guy's got a real star power. I mean, he really commands the screen. And he still is very good in the film. But I have to agree with what Jay said. Jay said on his letterbox that he's two films in, five hours into this thing, six hours into this thing, and he still can't identify what dwarf's a dwarf because they just keep moving. I mean, he don't know their names or nothing. They'll say a name, somebody will pop up, but nobody has any unique features, unique anything. Everything just feels like this big gobbled mess just to get to this climax that we're waiting for, which really should have been in this film. and not. I will say this, though. If I was a child and I saw this dragon that's in this one, I would have been fucking, I mean, my jaw would have been on the ground because there is some amazing CG dragon work in this. The the dragon smile himself is seriously pretty amazing yeah so pretty. that's the the titular smog <laughs> yeah yeah i hate saying the name smog it sounds silly i didn't know what smog i thought it was some sort of smog no it's a um, it's, it's a, a dragon f- yeah fire breathing dragon the quintessential fantasy element there yeah fire breathing dragon but uh yeah he's, he's voiced by benedict cumberbatch another great name and yeah. uh He's got a great voice, and they kind of you know put a little vocal effect on there and stuff, and it, it works really well. I gotta admit, the uh, as much as I kind of gripe about the CG stuff, the the CG finale is pretty impressive. Uh, but a lot of the stuff in the middle just feels really cheap, even though it is CG. It just feels really cheap. And did that video that they shot on that's supposed to be I don't know how many frames a second or whatever did it feel distracting to you? Well, I don't know if the Blu-ray is at forty-eight frames a second. Uh, is that what you're talking about? The, the, the yeah, yeah. I know that uh, you know him and Jackson and a couple other directors, and I know Douglas Trumbull uh, and a few other people are really and uh, Cameron and people are really trying to push 48 frames a second. I've never seen a film in 48 frames a second uh, that I know of, uh, and I don't know if you, I don't know if uh, D, uh, Blu-ray plays at 48. I will say though that this does feel like, I mean, these things do feel like they're shot on video more so than film and i can't remember if the first ones were shot on some digital i think there was some digital some film but uh these things really do feel that way i mean there's some filters on here that really feel you know like like uh amateur like ipad filters you know i don't know yeah it's hard to explain it's hard to explain i mean they're interesting i like the story of the hobbit like i said i'm a fan of the book but you know i'd really think they should have cut it two films and moved on and but again, I know I know how it is, man. I mean, that's the business nowadays. I mean, they they're looking for the home run at all times, so that's the way it's going to be. It's not going to change anytime soon. Uh, and then finally, I watched Grudge Match, which I know you saw. Oh yeah. Uh, I got to admit, uh, you know, it's not a great film. Uh, it's good. I think I give it like a six, like a six and a half. That's where I'm six, six and a half max. Yeah, maybe yeah, six and a half max, easy. Yeah, max. That's high as I, I give you a six, six and a quarter is more realistic. I think. Yeah. But I gotta say, there was several times in this movie where I did laugh out loud. Yeah, I mean, some I, good moments. I did think some I'm of the stuff. I'm glad you, funny. you fell in the same uh, range I did. I, what's his name? Was good in it there, uh, Rosenthal. Is that his name? Yeah, yeah, he was good. Um, uh, everybody was good in it. Everyone I mean, was good in it, man. Basinger and, and Sly, I thought, had some good chemistry. Yeah, yeah. Kevin Hart. I mean, he he's got a thankless. Kevin Hart's role. the worst. Yeah, but he's got a thankless role of being what he yeah. is, and like I said, he's having a moment right now, and. You know, he's kind of like on top of his game and you know he's he's you know, he had a hit with that ice cube movie too so he's kind of having a moment right now and you know you kind of just got to go with that and but it, he had a few funny moments too i think probably, still the fun one of the funniest moments is still that i still love that moment in the ring you know, i took a shit on your porch and guys we are live on tv right now 
you know, a little moment like that. And <laughs> says it's about me or it's about her, it's about you. And he's like, oh man, thank God I thought it was going to be about the shit. But so there's yeah. little there's little moments like that that I thought were funny. But anyway, the stuff between De Niro and uh, Stallone is is good when they're it when they're good. together. They're good and. Uh, there is some dist- <laughs> strange, distracting U- CGI in the beginning of the film. But- yeah, there totally is. The UFC moment with Stallone and uh, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and uh, thing De Niro is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, there's generally these are two actors who are known for dramatic or action based performances, and these are comedic performances, but only slightly. The really just the comedy really just comes from age, and what we all kind of go through as we get older and stuff, and. It's kind of nice. I think there's a little too much of the the uh, the schmaltz in there for my there taste. Is. Yeah, there is, totally. It's a good movie to watch, like with a dad or a grandfather. Yeah. Or something. Oh no, yeah. There's some really good. There's some really good father son moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some good stuff there that really kind of won me over, uh, including the kind of father son thing between Arkin and Stallone. Uh, yeah, that was that was good. Yeah, for sure. So there's some good stuff there. Um, but again, I'm not ever. I'm not going to champion this as a masterpiece in no way, shape, or form. No, no. And there's a lot of people that would. Watch this and think, man. Sammy and Willie have lost their touch if they're repping for this one. But I think, but, it, but I think it comes down to the fact that if you're a fan of the two actors, yeah, the two leads, I think you just enjoy being in their company for sure. Even though, I mean, sure. the the De Niro character in a lot of ways is a total cunt in this film. And I think they overstate that. Like, I think they they they're like too heavy handed on the nose yeah. with. They go to the one, one. They go one step too far with it. You know the incident I mean, where like they didn't need yes. him to be irredeemable just to redeem himself. Yeah. After the incident at yeah. the, the the bar. Yeah, because he was like, pretty. That was he, so he, heavy. Yeah, he was already pretty much a cunt. We didn't really need that moment. So. We didn't need that. It's like you don't. He don't need to have that. His no. his ascension will be fine. Like you don't need to have him rise yeah. just completely from the ashes. Yeah. So you know. That's what I say. It's a little overlong. The, the, some of the bass singer Stallone stuff I could have done without because I feel like it goes on a little too long too. But, sure. Um, she's I like not, her in it though. I mean, yeah, she's, she's a with limited range actress, but I thought yeah, she was fine. I'm glad you said that because I was just getting ready to say, I mean, I, I really have a, a strange relationship with Kim Basinger when it comes to her. I mean, sometimes I think she can be spot on mm-hmm. and sometimes I just think she's the worst, man. I mean, like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, other than her looks, I don't know how she made it. So. Yeah, I, I'm. You know what? She is tied with Carrie Elway's and Saw. She did that <laughs> film Cellular, and I think it's Cellular with Chris Pine, no Chris Evans. Mm. She cries worse in that film than anyone ever. <laughs> and at that moment, exactly. There's times where she can be dreadful, and there's other times where she's like, uh, you know what? Uh, she's she's good. Yeah, I think it's just you know if somebody knows how to use her and stuff. I Me, mean, Stallone and her were nice together. I just thought you know it, it, that hung around a little too long. Sure. So kind of silly, but again. I would. I did enjoy the film, and, and you know anything that's a comedy and makes me at least chuckle a couple times out, out loud. Yeah, and of course it's a boxing movie too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, of course that that. Never mind. I'm not going to get it. I'll talk to you about it off the air because I don't want to say anything. Run for anything else. But yep. So that's all I watched. Right. Uh, we're going to take a short break. What do you want to talk about first? Here we got three reviews here tonight. We got. We, uh, um. We want to do. You want to do them in. Uh, order of release. You want to do? Sure, them? we can do that. Yeah, let's do that. We'll do the town of dreaded sundown first. This town, <laughs> this town in Exar- Texarkana. <laughs> All right, we'll uh, be back right after this with uh, the town of Dread Sundown, nineteen seventy-six. Hi, this is Angie Bates, aka Sweet Prudence, and you're listening to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai. This is Reb Brown. <laughs> you're listening to Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Bring me to Jakarta. <laughs> 
on hammer. Dog me by the pound. I'm a hardwood driving man. Six foot solid from the ground. All right, everybody, welcome back. I may have played that song before in the past. I can't remember, though. I don't know. We've done a lot of episodes now at this point. <laughs> at this point, I guess, maybe, maybe I should start putting it out there to the group like Silver and Gold do. <laughs> you know, i got to send you some music. It's funny you said that because I was listening to some uh, Evelyn Champagne King on the way home. I was like, man, I'm going to drop some of this in the show. And I'm like, yeah. man, I think I've played this before, though. Yeah, no, I, that's the thing. I mean, you, when you've done as much as we've done, I mean, it's, it's really you really do start repeating yourself at some point. Just as long as we don't review the same film and and think we never did it before, that's when we know we've reached the end of. <laughs> which, with both of our memories, that could happen. Oh fuck! Yeah, <laughs> we could be mid-review and be like, "Oh fuck, I think we've seen this. I think we did this before, man. <laughs> I got the same notes." <laughs> I know. <laughs> Having deja vu. All right, uh, our first film of the evening is the town of the dreaded sundown. Um, 1976, a Texas Ranger hunts for a hooded serial killer terrorizing the residents of a small town set in 1946, Arkansas, loosely based on a true story. Before I let Large William get going on this, I want to say this film maybe had one of the most notorious VHS boxes I can remember growing up. Um, really, really, uh, very memorable. And, uh, I rented this film a lot and it was interesting. I hadn't seen it in, I don't know, 20 plus years. And, um. It was interesting to watch it this time, so that's all I'll say. Uh, I mean, I got a lot more to say, but I'm going to kick it over to you, and uh, we'll get going here. Also, uh, if you get a chance, everybody, Google Andrew Prine Playgirl Shoot. <laughs> are you there? Did I lose you? So GGTMC. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, are you talking about the Andrew Prine uh, Playboy Shoot, or Playgirl Shoot? And the Doritos in my mouth. Oh. That, that's so S&G. Yeah. Andrew Prine, evidently uh, not the... Uh, not a shy man, and really no reason to be. The guy's a guy's a fucking tripod. There you go, man. Is he uh, in John Ireland territory? That's the sixty-four thousand dollars. No, no, I never saw John Ireland's. But if you Google Andrew Prine and see those photos, you'll see what I mean. He's pretty impressive. <laughs> oh man, there's one of him. Na- there's one of him naked with a horse. Yeah, and even the horse is like, "What the fuck's that, man?" <laughs> no, he's doing a double take. <laughs> <laughs> the horse is doing the double spit take. <laughs> oh man! If you type that in, right, and you look at the one, two, three, four throw down, yeah, the furthest one on the right. What do you see? Well, hang on, I gotta, I gotta type it in now. <laughs> I'll talk as you look for that. Okay. So yeah, you said that this film was one that um, did have a very notorious cover. Um, for a long time. And this film was made even more kind of mythic in some ways. I mean, it was accessible. It would work around at uh, a lot of the conventions and stuff. People would be selling TV rips of it and, and this and that because it does have such an iconic cover of uh, of the man with the potato sack on. Yeah, really the does. second most famous potato sack killer. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely the second most. I mean, although you, you really do feel watching this that uh kane hodder got a lot of his kind of uh the kind of heavy breath movements i don't think if he's i don't know if he saw this or not but uh they one of the great things about this film is the um 
is the <laughs> I just saw the picture is the uh, <laughs> is the um, the um, the way he breathes through the potato sack. Oh, it's very very impressive. Uh, I'm gonna close that. Uh, very. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I could close it too. My wife still up. She'll come in and be like, "Yeah, look at this. You looking at? <laughs> yeah, it is one of the great things. You know, when you're working behind a mask, it's difficult to you have to do a lot more physically, and you have to pull out. You have to get creative about how you're going to let your presence be known, as opposed to just being sort of anonymous behind a mask. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at someone who has a great voice, that can assist. I.e., Hugo Weaving in. Um, uh, what's it called there? Remember, remember. Oh, uh, v for Vendetta. yeah, V for Vendetta. I thought you were gonna say The Matrix, but either one. Oh yeah, I mean, fantastic voice. Yeah. He can lean on his voice with that film, or even uh, as the Red Skull in a weird way. He's got that weird accent, but it works. Yeah, again, yeah, working behind a mask, um, where you get people like Andy Serkis who have to rely solely on their physicality. Unfortunately, well, he's he, he and he should get more shots as just sort of an uh, an actor without being. He should. You should see that horror film he did. I think it was called Cottage. The Cottage. Yeah, yeah. Did you I see? own it. I've just never gotten around. To yeah, it. that's pretty good. I mean, it's not great, but it's it's pretty good, and he's really good in it. Yeah, yeah. That would be that was one of the big lures for me was to see him actually get a chance to. Perform. He's a good actor. He's a, he's he's a good actor. Yeah. Anybody that motion capture stuff is really hard to do, but uh, you know, he is a good actor. I think he's a good actor. So him and who's the other guy? Doug? No, Doug Bradley. Um, Doug Jones. Doug Jones. There's a lot Bradley of makeup work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I mean, you really have to do something to to add a flourish to your character. And one of the big things that's done in this with the killer is his breathing, uh, the way his eyes kind of dart around behind the mask. Um, yeah, that's and it, it's Bud, very effective. We should say it's Bud Davis who uh, Tarantino used for stunt coordinator in Inglorious Bastards. That that actor is uh, Bud Davis and under that mask. And we should also say that this year. The fight, I don't know if you knew this. This kind of blew my mind. This year there is a sequel of the Talented Jedi Sundown coming out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. I, I came up first when I uh, did my Same here. when I was going to do my check in. Ed Ed Louder. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. One of the last films he did. Um, and I think Gary and Gary Cole's in it too. <laughs> so I wonder if Gary Cole will be in the uh, prime role. I wonder because hmm. Louder will probably be in the Ben role. Right, I would assume so. Uh, yeah. Well, I would hope so, actually. But I don't. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's one of the last films he did. I don't know if he was ill or you know, True. or what. So, uh, okay, it looks like they they add a wrinkle to it this time. But um, in any event, uh, yeah, we'll, they do add a wrinkle. I saw that thing too. So, uh, so we'll see. I mean, you know, it's directed by a looks like a South American or Mexican director. They, I've liked a lot of the. Uh, Latin American or South American or, or Hispanic horror I've, I've seen. There seems to be a uh, an insistence on good uh, good cra- attention. Pay attention to craft yeah. versus just turning stuff up. A lot of energy coming out of that area yeah. right now when it comes to horror. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, uh, the cast. I'm all over the place here, but yeah, the tagline. I think the tagline is is just as effective as the poster. And uh, yeah. <laughs> no, it won't, but the, the Andrew Prime picture will. Be careful. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. In 1946, this man killed five people. Today, he still lurks the streets of Texarkana, Arkansas. What a tagline. Yeah. And even, the, and even really, even really, the title of the film, The Town That Dreaded Sundown, it's not as evocative as the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but it certainly 
is in that that ballpark. Yes, the pocket of title, what the you know, the tagline, the poster with the sack over his head, and he and it's great because it's it's him sort of looming over the horizon over the whole town. Mm-hmm. It uh, it's one of the few times a floating head has been effective in a poster. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're you're right. You're right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the film opens with uh, like a lover's lane. I got to tell you, man. Watching too many horror movies made me not ever want to go to a lover's lane type place. <laughs> I got I got a note here, man. The uh, the whole uh, old stretch move behind the head to the put the arm around right. the girl. I, you know, I'm so tired. Of, but has anybody ever tried that and does it work? You know, I've done it uh, as a joke. Yeah, well, yeah, I've done it ironically. <laughs> yeah, but that's it. What a move! What a bad move! That's you know? one step up from the dick in the popcorn box. Yeah, yeah, the dick in the popcorn box. It's a little notorious, but uh, you know. I just, you know, I just unzip. I just do that's the Andrew right. Prine horse uh, horse gallop. <laughs> and uh, That's it. That's the ticket. I know if I got a keeper if they don't run away. That's it, man. <laughs> exactly. That one marble hand on bed. the ice one hand on the... Uh, <laughs> the coin purse there, boy. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Um, the, the lover's lane thing, right? It's just, it's just every film uh, that has that, it, it doesn't end well. And this reminds me, and it's funny how this played out because it reminds me very much of Zodiac. Yeah. Right. The way it's, uh, I don't think I'm spoiling anything to say. And my wife, when I were watching this, my wife's a fan of some of the true crime stuff. Um, not to the, the extent of it being uh, morbid, right. but you know, uh, she right. watches like uh, cold case files and the first 48 and all that. Mm-hmm. So she was kind of interested and she was cross referencing the stuff in reality with what was playing out in the film and they were relatively faithful to what had really transpired right right so um but yeah the, the first two <laughs> victims uh, I, I like the uh, i like the uh, killer in the first one because he rips the uh, spark plug stuff out the uh the whatever he's ripped some stuff out the front of the hood oh yeah and he's he's a, he's a ninja with that shit first of all they don't hear him then he pops their hood rips their shit out tears it down and then throw, shows it to him and throws it away almost to say <laughs> fuck yeah yeah you know? i mean it's really a ballsy uh, like a it's a great entrance for a killer in a film it is without being kind of over the top yeah and one of my favorite things I think about the film, because I think Pierce, Pierce had a, he was a, like a, almost like a traveling salesman to me. Like, he, yeah. you know, he, he worked on a few angles, uh, you know, he worked the, the sort of uh, real life or the, the doco horror kind of angle with, with uh, Boggy, with this, with the evictors, all of those films are quote unquote based on a true story. Yeah. And so he was really working. He was a regional director, I think. Uh, worked yeah. sort of Florida, Louisiana. Well, he yeah. was. He was also. I mean, he became a. Um, he was a director, but he was also a set decorator in his lifetime, and uh, he he worked on some big films. I mean, he he was a coffee set decorator on coffee. He was a set decorator on Carney. Uh, he was a set decorator on uh, I think Outlaw Josie Wales. Uh, yeah. Quite a few films. I mean, he he, film, he worked in a lot of stuff, um, and uh, you know. He, 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 Pretty Maids all in a row. Yeah. I mean, he did, um, I think he directed films with the hope that he, and, and I think he was a good director. Uh, maybe a, yeah, no, he was good. He was good. I'm, I'm looking at his films. I've seen Boggy Creek, this, I've seen, I've seen The Norseman, believe it or not. That's the Lee Majors Viking movie. I've never seen that. <laughs> and, uh, you probably don't need to see that. Of course, I've seen The Evictors now, but I've seen Boggy Creek too. I know that the guys that recently made a Bigfoot film. I can't remember what it, or a Chupa, Chupacabra film, or I can't remember what it was. Anyway, it was something Wild Man of Borneo or some kind of crazy thing. 
they would talk to Charles Pierce before he died, and, and he was willing to get behind him and help him with it, but only if he could direct it. So he was really big on being a director, and uh, you know he directed 12 films and did some westerns in there that I've never seen that I'd like to check out, Winterhawk and Gray Eagle. So, yeah, I mean, he, I mean he's... He's got an interesting. I mean, he had a great career. Did I didn't know he did Dillinger. He did Dillinger too. Nice, Dirty Dingus McGee. <laughs> yeah, the Sterile Cuckoo. Nice. <laughs> uh, those are amazing titles. So yeah, he's you know he's the kind of guy. Um, he he did have a nice lengthy career, and um, I think one of the things he does really well with this film is he tries to ground it in reality. He doesn't use a lot of music. And the most effective thing, I think, is how sloppy and brutal the killings are. Yes. Like, they don't ever feel like you're not ever going to get someone picked up and beaten against a tree with in the sleeping bag. Or they're not going to get, like, um, like sauna rocks crushed into their skull or mm. anything. But it's just kind of sloppy and people are f- tripping over themselves and falling. And it, it just grounds it in reality and makes it a little more stark and awful. Because yeah. it's the way he shoots it and also... The fact to know that you know five people were killed uh, by this person. Mm-hmm. I should correct myself. The Wild Man of Navidad is the uh, the name of that later film that they tried to get him to work with. They gave him a special thanks in the credits. He passed away. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I agree. If there's one thing looking back on this film after not seeing it for so many years that I totally had forgotten about was the amount of comedy that's in this thing, or general buffoonery. Yeah. From the actual Charles Pierce himself as the Sparkplug character. I don't know if you know that was him, but that's him. I actually didn't know that. Yeah, he play, he's playing Sparkplug, the uh, the officer there. Uh, the one driving Ben Johnson around and <laughs> into a moat or into a pond at one point. Uh, that's Pierce. And uh, it's really odd. It's really an odd shift in tone. It, for me, it doesn't work, but it does make the film unique in some ways. I think. I mean, it's just... It gives it more of a drive-in feel. Yeah, it does. And, yeah, that's really surprising. It was him. He looks like... Um, I'll come to it, actually, when I come to it, because I didn't know that was him. He looks him like Stacy Keach's brother. <laughs> I thought he looked like... Um, James Keach. Mm. I don't know if you've ever seen him, but if you've ever seen him... I don't know that I have. He looked like... Uh, I had to send you a picture of James Keach there, by. Yeah, I'll have to see the Keachy. Um, yeah, he looked like... Uh, oh, man, I must have cut off my note here. Look like the. It's covered in uh, Dorito cheese. It is. Fuck. <laughs> Big Bang. The dude from Big Bang Theory. Oh. Oh yeah. Okay. 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 Which I I think that shows the worst thing in existence. But <laughs> well, you know. Yeah. Um, and I like the setup too. It's got a pulpy kind of Jim Thompson sweaty hot feel to it. Yeah, uh, that's my favorite thing about it is the way it looks. And uh, one thing Pierce can capture. Even when you go back as far as Boggy Creek, um, he does capture that uh, small town, rural, uh, southern United States. I mean, he really does capture that. I mean, that's what it really looks like. And the rain and the heat. I mean, it really, you really get that sense of the humidity and the rain. And the, I was going to say the humidity, yeah. You know, those mud roads. I mean, believe it or not, man, I still, every now and then, drive on a dirt road down here. So. <laughs> yeah, because I was. it's crazy. There's so many spin-outs. It's like they all went to the... The Gator School of Defensive Driving. Well, yeah, that that first stunt I thought was going to go. I mean, I, I can imagine I would have thought that would have went bad almost because that girl's laying on the road and that guy just oh, loses yeah. it, man. I was like, holy shit, he's going to kill her. 
<laughs> if this had been a film nowadays, her skull would have been crushed by a wheel. Totally. But uh, yeah, I like that feel of it. And I think, man, so my notes were terrible. I don't even know what I'm. 6W looks good. GW? GW? What's GW? <laughs> anyway, Pierce, I think, sets up the small town quite well. Everyone knows everyone, and it's got that feel. And I think he does a good job of shooting this quaint Americana, uh, the the marquees and the small town feel and Norman Rockwell almost like Southern kind of feel. But And it makes what's happening in the town that much more awful. Yes. It punctuates a lot more because it's really disturbing the tranquility of, of the American dream. And I think that's something that with the two films that we were covering this week um, is really about the American, well, in the backdrop or in the background, you sort of get the American dream being um, sort of brutally uh, shattered by violence. Right, right. Right. Um, I think uh, the locale is great too because there's a lot of untouched land, which they talk about the back end of the film, the very end of the film. Lots of untouched land, the woods, lots of places to hide. Yeah. You know, he, he uses, like you said, he uses the rain, the humidity really as, as part of the film quite effectively. Yeah, yeah, he really does. I, I, I think that the setting, I don't know where exactly it was shot. I know, I mean, I know it was shot down around there. Louisiana? Yeah, Pierce is from, I mean, he was a weatherman Tennessee. before he yeah. was a filmmaker, so he... He uh, he was a weatherman in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. So, at one point, this guy, you know, at least was living down there. So maybe he shot it. Now he actually shot it in Texarkana, in huh. Texas, and uh, looks like Garland City, Texarkana, Scott, Tech, and uh, yeah, so right around that area. So, which I don't know if you've ever, well, obviously, I've, probably, I've actually never been to the Southwest. Yeah, the the uh, Texarkana area is really very interesting. Very interesting. Area. Always wanted to go there. Like the Southwest Texas. Davy Mack would probably be in, very familiar with, uh, with, uh, and yeah, with the Texarkana area. Christina and Robert and a couple other people. Yep. Pretty soon, yeah. pretty soon, Jakey. Jakey, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, He'll be dropping that snake down there on that salsa in Texas, thereby. Yeah, yeah, he totally is. <laughs> and Yuri, they're going to be throwing down the BBQ. He's going to be uh, honing his game with uh, Davy in his corner. That's good. Um, I uh, think uh in that picture, Kichi boy, to you, so you can check boy. that out. <laughs> yeah. Little Charles Pierce action. Um, what? I, oh, you know what? I have to say, True Detective lifted from this film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because there's the when they come across the one body, it. Uh, it's awful. Like it, it's the there's a woman who is on her knees, mm-hmm. yeah, and she is tied up to a tree, yeah, and she has these. The, see the the blood and all that's bad, but it's the smaller acts of violence that make this thing so bad. And she has these unbelievably brutal, aggressive bite marks. Like you can make out all of the lines from the teeth. Like a full open mouth dug into her back yeah. twice. Yep. And that was you saw that in True Detective as well. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's very cool. bizarre, man. The uh, the killings are very brutal in a way, not overly gory, but uh, overly nasty. Violent. Yeah, brutal. and of course, the you know this is this film is known for its trombone killing, which is kind of silly, but it's sloppy and it works somehow. It does. I think it works because they don't show. 
any penetration. They just give you the 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 thrust and the kind of like the noise of the knife, kind of like going into a cantaloupe or something. And I think it works better because they don't have like he he's so clumsy and he can't play the the uh, horn, mm-hmm. so he can't make it no a noise with it. So it's not like stylized. Yeah, it's he thought it was going to be a good idea and. He's stabbing her, even though it's not really making noise when he's blowing on it. So I think yeah. because of the amateur nature of what of how he's pulling it off, it, it's yeah. still kind of effective. And, and, and yeah, it's effective because it's it's like I don't know, it's like innocently awful. I don't know yeah. if that was a, that's a correct way to put anything, but there's something so simple about it that it almost feels like we have a character here who's obviously damaged, and uh, you know, as the killer, and he has serious mental issues and and yet he likes to mock and tease and torture yeah so you know we're talking about a really bad person altogether here so man kichi boy looks a little bit like john clayton <laughs> he does <laughs> that's nice. stacy that's stacy kichi's brother man he, yeah, he, he did quite a few films i mean he's mostly known for being married to uh, uh what's her name jane seymour oh good for him yeah he's been married to her for a long time at least i think he has still nice. But yeah, that's who that's who Pierce reminded me of a little bit. Wow, good for him, man. He's really playing up a few leagues. Um, <laughs> the old Dr. Quinn. Um, I've got to say, anytime I see Ben Johnson, he always reminds me of my grandfather, my mother's <laughs> father. Yeah. yeah. He had that same thin mustache. The eyes are the same. The chin it always reminds me of yeah. uh, Ben. Ben's almost, it's almost like he's playing the same. It's almost like he stepped off Sugarland Express. <laughs> yeah. And right into this movie. Absolutely. Absolutely, he's a little a little less tolerant for bullshit in this one. Yeah, <laughs> but that's because he doesn't have uh, yeah. spark plug. Yeah. Uh, to annoy him in Sugarland, gentlemen, give me a minute. I'm gonna get me a cigar. Yeah, he's yeah. got a great entrance. And he, he does. Um, yeah, it's like a western, right? Well, yeah. I mean, he's such a you know a powerful presence, right? I mean. We've seen great performances from Ben Johnson. I've seen really awful performances, but he's always really, really it's a gravitas. Dis- yeah, yeah. I mean, he just he he, he draws attention no matter where he's at, mm-hmm. even with just a look. He's just one of those guys who has that natural ability. Uh, never, never really the lead looks really. No, you know, much more character or heavy. Absolutely. Uh, look, but still a commanding voice. Um, he he definitely feels like whenever he's in the room in every scene he's the man like he's the boss. Mm-hmm. So. Oh yeah, he, he he certainly does. He certainly does. Um, yeah, I'm with you though on the goofy beats. I think the the goofy beats were needless. It's it's the same thing that I think Mars Last House on the Left. Mm. Goofy shit. Yeah, it is a little bit like that. It is a little bit like that with that weird out of place cops. Yeah. yeah, it's just it's strange. It is strange. Uh, I got to say, the the stuntman, there's a shot with him on the hood. and um, Or there's a moment with stuntman and something in this. I can't remember where it was, but it was it was pretty impressive. Um, but yeah, they do the whole Redskins sweat hogs. Is that what they're called? No, just hogs, right? Yeah, I think so. With the Redskins hogs with Pierce. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if he's telling us about some of his proclivities, man. Yeah. It's, uh, but there's that one... <laughs> There's that one cop, man. He's got the loaf stash. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he does. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, but yeah, the I know what it was. The stunt man. There's a moment. Yeah, he really earned his check. Where I think the car is driving, and he's trying to. He's hanging off the the driver's door as it's open, and it's it's well done. It's definitely well done. Uh, and it, we should say that the killer 
He he does wear the potato sack, but he also wears a Canadian tuxedo. Yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> so he knows what time it is. Nice. <laughs> uh, I, th- I wonder if this is one of the first instances of a girl running in the woods in a film, being pursued. I don't know. You know yeah, this is early in the cycle, especially for yeah. American uh, quote-unquote slasher films. Uh, yeah, because most of Jali didn't take place uh, in the, the forest. There was that really great yeah. kill in the mud. Yeah. In torso, yeah, but I don't remember too many films to predate this that have like a woman being stalked through the forest. Yeah, and nobody would ever accuse Charles Pierce of being a stylist like his yellow director, right? No. So, so no. It, it is interesting. It is interesting that yeah. uh, I don't know where this falls in the cycle and its influence, but it's obviously uh, pretty influential. I mean, um, I've seen shots and bits and pieces taken from it over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you think about the year this came out, so it's obvious. I mean, everything from Sean Cunningham's work in Friday the Thirteenth to a lot of the slasher stuff. You know, I mean, maybe speaking of stylists, maybe Bava was influenced by this when he did Bay of Blood. What year was Bay of Blood? Actually, do you know? Uh, oh, that might have predated this. That's early seventies. Very yeah, that's seventy two, seventy three, I think. Yeah. But um, but yeah, Pierce, I think maybe isn't poetic, but he he still knows a powerful image when he sees one. Because one of my favorite things in the film. And he does it twice in the film, and it works perfectly. Is he gets women who are very sweaty, their makeup is running, they have tears running down their face, they have blood on their face. When you combine all these um, liquids, or not liquids, but all those things smeared makeup, sweat, tears, blood, a frantic look on their face, it leaves a mark. It's an effective, um, an effective uh, image of. of you know the, the beauty of woman being just completely smeared and sullied, mm-hmm. violently so. Yeah, okay, works really well. And this film looks really good on Blu-ray too. We should say. I mean, it, I mean, it, it does. A, it does look fair. I said that to my wife for a low-budget yeah. film of the times. Um, Show Factory. We should say did both of our films this week. Mm-hmm. And this one, you know, I mean, it's not jaw-dropping, but no, I've seen good. this film a lot of times. I've never seen it look this good. It looks very good. Yeah. Very good. This one and the Evictors, like we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But the Evictors, yeah. it's a DVD, but it still looked great. Looks very good, yeah. What is hoop cheese? Or do I even want to know? I don't even know what that is. Hoop cheese. Maybe I'm not far it's enough south. Up. I don't know. He's a little bit uh, east of me, so maybe he does. I don't know. Hoop cheese. I don't know if I like the sound of that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Um. There's a pretty decent squib uh, near the back end of the film. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a good one. Yeah, pretty good stuff. And I think the greens look really lush and nighttime uh, cornfield stuff looks good on blue. And um, yeah, we should say that's Don Wells. I mean, we could talk about that's Marianne. Yeah, that's right. She looks yeah. good. Marianne. She looks good. Yeah, well, you, well you, and the question has to be asked. Were you, if you were on the island, were you a Marianne or were you a ginger? Ginger. You were a ginger? I was a Marianne. Yeah. I guess a country yeah. boy in me. But it's that midriff and, uh, you know. Oh, yeah, with her little, did you have a blue-checked shirt? Oh, just forget about it. Yeah, she was no, nice. And I don't. No, me, though, I, I would have probably been fucking the professor, so it wouldn't have mattered anyway. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I thought about the professor this week, ironically. What was I watching? Well, there you go. I don't know what it was. Great minds, I guess. <laughs> yes. But uh, <laughs> Or Mrs. Howell. I probably would have been on Mrs. Howell. i been like, Mr. Howell's not giving you any. That's right. I would have, uh, oh man, I was going to have been me and, Rocco me and, territory. would have wrapped Howell's me, ascot around her neck. and Me and Dylan are on the island, man. We're fucking <laughs> chasing each other around like headhunters. Yeah, the old DP. 
Nice. Very nice. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> um, but yeah, again, we, we talked about sort of the giallo sort of ask influence in some ways, but you get, again, the blood and the sweat and the makeup and some close-ups of these desperate darting eyes. And I think that stuff works really well, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. really well, because it adds a, an, a, like a desperate kind of urgency to the victims. I think he focuses more on how awful the victims feel in that moment versus stylizing the killing right, right. and fetishizing the killing. Right. Um, the shootout near the back end is pretty good. It's pretty thrilling for the time, and the slow mo works well. It's very sort of peck and paw esque. Yeah, I liked it with a train, and mm-hmm. you know, it's it's good. Well, and, good, especially uh, the scene of the killer running toward the camera. That looks really nice. Yeah, it does look nice, and I love the almost campfire esque quality of the the last shot of the shoes in the theater line. Oh yeah, it's yeah, good yeah. stuff. Kind of like, good showman kind of stuff. Yeah, urban legend type stuff. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think it's what make, that's what makes this film work. I think it's the uh, the fact that this is based on a a true story or a somewhat true story, anyway, or but an incident that happened, and you know they never caught the guy. I like the Zodiac. I think it's what makes stuff like the Zodiac and stuff like that so fascinating for people is that you know people get away with it. You know, I mean, it, it does happen. We we hear mm-hmm. a lot about the people that get caught, but we don't hear about all the people that get away with it. So it's always near misses. Yeah, and- unless they have some kind of you know. There's some kind of like uh, legend to it, or some kind of craziness like Jack the Ripper or the Zodiac. Some, you know, some kind of taunting nature. Yeah. So what you get with this killer, this quote-unquote phantom killer, is you get uh, basically there's like this <laughs> this very southern like uh, Jack the Ripper type thing almost. Yeah. <laughs> very strange. Yeah. I never even thought of it that way until I just said it. <laughs> Um, I actually just Googled in. I just I was looking for the Phantom Killer, but the first thing I typed was very southern Jack the Ripper. <laughs> <laughs> Did anything pop up? And I don't know. I, I didn't I went back. I hate when I do that. I'll be talking and I type what I say. Like, yeah, I know. I do that all the time. Fuck. I don't know how many times at work I'm writing an email and I'm sitting there writing and I'm like, and I'm talking to somebody and I'm like, well, I don't know what the fuck he's doing. I look at the email and I'm like, so so and so did it. I don't know what the fuck he's doing. I'm like, shit, I gotta go back and take that out of there, man. Oh, I know. I'm terrible for that. All right, is that all your notes on it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the only uh, things I'd like to add to this, um, like I said, I talked about the VHS box. It was one of those big clamshell boxes, too, by the way. Those uh, notoriously. Uh, nostalgic clam, gigantic clamshells everybody loves. Oh, yeah. But um, I remember this thing uh, vividly. And uh, I remember the first time I watched it, um, I used to have this thing when I was watch horror films as a younger kid where I would, uh, and my, I've seen my son do this. And I think it's something boys do, maybe girls do too, but I know boys do it, um, where they're watching something that might be a little bit beyond their threshold for fear. And they kind of get up and walk around and kind of walk a little further from the TV. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you did that when you were a child either, but yeah, I did that. And I've watched my son do that when a couple of animated films when he feels like they get a little too intense. and Or he doesn't like when characters get like really angry and their eyes get really big and they you know really scream and stuff. So he'll oh, kind of back off a little bit and kind of walk away. Sometimes he'll go down the hallway. Like, where are you going, bud? You know, and then I know that it's really bothering him, so I'll, I'll change it or you know, I'll make a joke. Yeah, well, yeah, you have to do. We have to do that too, kind of lighten the the moment. Yeah, a little bit. yeah, you got to right. You got to lighten it up there a little bit, you know. Show him a picture of uh, Ken Waller with his <laughs> thumb in his ass or something. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's a different type of abuse. I don't know. Yeah. Fuck. 
I meant to type in the Phantom Killer, and I typed in the Perfect Killer. Nice. Fuck, I can't get anything. Perfect Killer is a film we covered, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. Oh, that was the Lee Van Cleef. <laughs> yeah, I can't get anything right. Perfect tonight. Ascot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, perfect hairpiece. <laughs> yeah. Close to perfect ending, though. Yeah. Um. Yeah, we talked about it. what ultimately might be Pierce's uh, legacy is this kind of small town thing that he brings to cinema. And uh, I kind of like, uh, you know, when I was younger, I used to think that the narration was kind of shitty. But I kind of like the vibe that the narration, I, well, I did Boggy Creek with uh, Brian over a movie meltdown a long time ago, about four or five years ago, maybe three, four or five years ago, something like that anyway. And uh, we kind of talked about it, and I kind of got on that. I kind of got on that thing about the narration and that. And he does that. He uses that. I think he uses it in the Victors as well a little bit. He does. Yeah. And it, it's got a kind of kind of a quaint. Uh, I don't know. It, it, that can really go wrong for me, but for some strange reason, it works. Even though it 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 sounds like news reporting as opposed to narration. Well, it certainly adds a, an element of reality, like it's factual. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? It, it adds uh, a very matter-of-fact uh, aspect to the film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It really is uh, interesting the way it works. I mean, it really is because it, it does work well. Um, I'm trying to see here. Uh, I got the performance of the killer guy driving the <laughs> driver driving the car almost loses it. Definitely no anti-lock brakes back in them days. Uh, <laughs> he's he's all over the place. Um, okay, here's something I got to talk about. First, there's two things. The size of the fucking walkie-talkies. <laughs> those fucking walkie-talkies, man. God, I remember those things. My grandfather had a set of those. He's like, here, why don't you boys go out in the woods with these walkie-talkies? Well, you know, by the time you raise the antenna and everything else, you got something that stretches from the fucking middle of your abdomen up to the fucking tree branches. You know, it's, it's like almost like a four-foot mechanism when you get an it, antenna on everything. It's like a bed. Fuck, it's ridiculous. Those things are huge. Uh, and the other thing. And I gotta, I, we gotta put a kibosh on this because this still happens in cinema to this day. People getting up in mid haircut. You know, oh man, that was one of my notes. <laughs> what the fuck is up with people Dude. in cinema getting up mid haircut? Would you ever get up mid haircut? Never. You can get up after two bites of your hot dog, after a few spoons of your Chinese food. Yeah, you can even your sandwich. You can even truck. get up mid sex. Yeah, you cannot, cannot get up mid haircut. <laughs> no, you can't. You cannot get a mid haircut. Come on, people. And ben Johnson, yep. man, he drops it. He does. He does the mid haircut thing. And every mm-hmm. time that happens, you'll hear me uh, groan out loud, like, "Oh, come yep. on!" And you Can't know, usually it. it's just like a little trim or whatever. But I mean, still, they don't even ask if the guy's done. No. <laughs> They'll usually say, "We're done here." You know, tear the thing off, start putting their clothes on, put their hat on. I mean, I understand it's a man's haircut, so a lot of men will, back in the day, or even nowadays, been wear baseball caps and they'll get their haircut and throw a baseball cap on or something like that. But I've never gotten up mid haircut, never, nor would I. I put a lot of well, trust in my hair person. <laughs> hair is very, very underrated. <laughs> if you have bad hair, I guarantee you will look so much worse. <laughs> I guarantee it. Yeah. If you have, if a woman has good hair, it makes her so much more attractive. Yep. yep. If a girl has bad hair, it can really really throw a spanner in the works yeah well you know i mean i've, I've said on the show or maybe i'm not said on the show but i know i've I know said it on the f- facebook group and stuff i have a weakness for hair and especially freshly washed hair yeah uh that really just drives me bonkers and uh, i mean literally drives me bonkers i mean literally if somebody walks past me freshly washed hair i mean i feel the semi coming <laughs> <laughs> i start mouth breathing like the phantom killer <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I'm fucking the professor in the ass. I guess. <laughs> that fucking radio he's always carrying around. Remember those uh, Victoria Principal Jermac commercials in the 80s, man? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jermac. I still get I, women's hair products. Just, uh, I don't know. I don't know, man. Something must have happened in my youth. I don't know what happened. But, you know, Maybe I need to look back on that. Maybe I don't. I don't know if I want to know. <laughs> you get the shampoo by you squeeze it so the scent comes out fast and furious. <laughs> well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to admit something on the air that I never would admit to anybody right now. But I'm going to admit it to all of our listeners. When my wife gets new shampoos, I do open them and smell them. That's amazing. <laughs> I do have a weakness. Okay, so. if you're you guys lo- have outrageous <laughs> shampoo there by L'Oreal? Uh, probably, probably. I used to always do that with that, but I use it. I'm not such a connoisseur that I collect the bottles. (laughs) 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 That would be amazing. I'm going to write a slasher movie with these guys that collect cereal, you know, all these hair product bottles, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, whatever. Anyway, uh, but yeah, no mid haircut, man. Guys got to stop that in cinema. It's a bad move, man. <laughs> it's a bad move. Bad move. For everybody involved, it's a bad move. The barber's not satisfied. The he's guy, not getting paid. You know yeah, that. Yeah, he's not getting the tip. And no. then and you're not satisfied because your hair's crooked. And not only that, you didn't even get dusted off. So you got all that fucking hair all over you. Your neck is going to itch. Yeah. You're going to have some down by your chest. You're going to, you know, the thing where you keep pulling your shoulder when the, the hair is going over by the shoulder. And not only that, in cinema, the other barber who's sitting in the chair reading the newspaper, he's irritated by it too. Yeah. So, you know, come on. Don't, don't stop getting up mid haircut, people. It's one it. of those GGTMC, uh, one of the new ones we can add to the list. Just don't do that. Totally. I wonder if any of our listeners have gotten up mid haircut. They better not have. Yeah. Turn, in yeah, yeah. turn in your card. Yeah, turn in your card. Turn in your Ken Waller card. <laughs> All right, let's get into our ratings for this film. <laughs> we should say a good friend Mike is a big fan of Charles Pierce, Mike Inslee, uh, Mister Pensacon himself. Yeah, uh, we should say that he once had a podcast called "The Podcast That Dreaded Sundown," and we do miss amazing that show. show. Yeah, we missed that show, and we missed Mike's uh, thing. And I, I thought about reaching out to him for this, but I thought he might be a little too busy, and we were kind of cramped and stuff. We'll get Mike on for something else, but I just wanted to give him a heads up because I know he's a big Pierce fan. So yeah, you and I always out. say whenever we think of Pierce, we think of Mike, and he's he's one of the longest standing people we've been mm-hmm. uh, friends with in our community. Great, great, great all around guy. Yep. Make or break. I'm gonna go with um, uh, the scenes, the murder scenes. It's not really one scene, but I think if the murders are weak or they weren't effective or unsettling, then it kind of takes away some of the power of the film. Because then, when they shake you up, you it is you're able to feel how the townsfolk feel when they're shuttering their windows, when they're locking their doors, and yeah. I think it works quite well. Um, my MVT. Is um, is the is what's his name that played the killer? Uh, oh, Bud Davis. Bud Davis does a great job behind the mask, man. He really does. I mean, he's a standout in the job. film. He really is. Yeah, he's really good. Good job. My score for the film is a six point seven five. Oh, nice, nice. It's a, it's a good film. Um, you know, the goofy stuff bothers me a little bit, but. Uh, yeah, it's it's a good driving film, man. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Um, my make or break. I'm gonna go with uh, the train shootout. I just got a weakness for that, but I really, like I said, I really do love that that image of the the potato sack killer running toward the camera, and he's almost high stepping. 
the way he's running and stuff. You got the prime time Dion in the end zone now. Well, you'd have to really because you got uh, Prime and uh, Johnson shooting at you, you know, with rifles on the other side. So yeah, he, if you look at it closely, I mean, the guy's high stepping, you know. So very interesting. It is a great performance from uh, Davis. I wouldn't, I would, I, w- I would not uh, shun that at all. This is one of the better masked quote unquote serial or phantom killer slasher killer performances. I mean. Out of out of like if if you had to name great slasher performances, this would probably be top five for me. I mean, because he's really really good. Yeah, he is really really good in the film. But I'm gonna give my MVT to Prine, who we didn't talk a lot about in this film, in this review. But Andrew Prine's an interesting actor, not only because he got nude with a horse, but because he <laughs> he 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 he's a working actor. He he was actually in Lords of Salem. He played the the father Father Hawthorne, Hawthorne at one point. Uh, he still works to this day. Uh, he's an interesting guy and he's, he, he calls himself a working actor. Like he just believes, you know, in working, he doesn't care about, you know, some films hit, some films don't. He made a lot of really cool films in the seventies. Um, Grizzly, he was the star of Grizzly. That's right. He did, he did this one. Um, but a lot of his work in the seventies is, uh, is pretty interesting. And, uh, you know, most people who, who know genre cinema, have had definitely have had uh, Andrew Prine come across their radar more than once. I would say. I mean, I'm sure he's as many credits as the guy's got. He's come across quite a bit. But he was in the Centerfold Girls. He was in Grizzly, Rooster Cogburn. He was in that. I mean, he this this film, The Town of the Dreaded Sundown, a lot of stuff. I remember he was on the Hunter TV, uh, Hunter uh, TV series, but it wasn't the same one we were thinking of. But it was another one my grandfather watched, James Franciscus. Nice. My grandfather and his damn cop shows. The cop shows took over after the Western shows went away. <laughs> oh, big time. Yeah. But that's the way it goes. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to give it to Prine because I really do like his performance at the film. Uh, he, he is good. He, he, when, when Johnson shows up, he still holds his own. Yeah. He looks good in the, in the, in the small town sheriff's outfit. Looks good in the, looks good in the cowboy hat. Um, so yeah, and he, and he holds the screen with uh, Ben Johnson. That's not easy to do. He's talking about a very commanding presence, so... And my score is just a little bit higher than yours. It's a seven. I, I would say that point two five is probably based mostly on nostalgia. I mean, it's uh, this is a very nostalgic show for me this week. Uh, these two films, not the Evictor so much because I hadn't seen that, but the two films, the two primary films, uh, definitely big parts of my uh, youth. So, all right, we're going to take a short break. Come back and talk about the Evictors, uh, a film neither one of us has seen before. So we'll be back after this. <laughs> All you podcast listeners, here's an update. See here. We know some of that bad brown acid has been going around, but we've got an alternative. See here. Have these headphones here. Throw them on. See here. Movies for your mind. See here. See here podcast. We discuss music-related films once a month. Find us on iTunes. Or at see here, that's S E E H E A R dot podbean dot com. Just relax, listen, and float downstream. See here.
I was uh, thinking of our good friend Aaron the other day. I was just thinking about him, and when we made this break, when I made that break, I was thinking about him just uh, well about half an hour ago or so. I was hope he's doing well and everything. So haven't heard nice. much from him lately. So it's always fun to play some uh, Cinderella there. So hope everybody. Got their hair teased and uh, washed well, because I will come and visit. <laughs> Put on their cock printer jeans. Yeah. Make sure you wear some hoop cheese. <laughs> <laughs> oh, starting to think about that hoop cheese. What could that be? Could it be like, uh, is that like the remnants when you go for the rim jab? Ooh. Is that the, ooh, yeah, maybe not. Ooh, ooh. It might be liver cheese. Better have a breath, <laughs> breath mint after that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Put a uh, pack of Tic Tacs in your skinny jeans, there, buddy. Yeah, just don't drop the Tic Tac in the rim, there, buddy. <laughs> talk about a talk about a date killer. Ooh, <laughs> talk about James Brown moves. You'll be dancing Ooh. like like, like <laughs> the Godfather of Soul. You get a Tic Tac in your asshole, <laughs> like a Mentos and a Diet Pepsi, there, bro. <laughs> oh, oh man, jeez, I never thought about that. <laughs> That's what the, our show's good for. You know, coming up with. Future uh, fetishes, or refreshing mints for your gape, and uh, yeah. tic tacs for your a hole. At least it would be comfortable going in. You know they're small. I don't know about what yeah. the effects would be. I don't know. One of our listeners, give it a try. Call in. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just joking. Please don't don't, don't try. Please. I'll tell you that's a thing though. Um, I it's a thing for people to uh, when they take ecstasy. To uh, insert it anally because it's supposed to hit you quicker and more powerfully. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I've I've known dudes that have uh, drank alcohol through their ass. Come on. Yeah, I'm oh not making that goodness. up, man. Uh, I've known guys that stick fucking tubes in their ass and beer bong their fucking asshole. So yeah, HHW, bro. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've known dudes that done that. Not going to say any names, but <laughs> they were doing it in September. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Tyler came down from Wisconsin. Never mind. Anyway, Got a garden hose wrapped around him like a like a scarf. Well, what's this for? Tonight? I think most people are wearing big gold chains. This guy's wearing a garden hose. Talk about, with, talk about some macho bullshit man. with gold tips. <laughs> <laughs> Oddly smelled like liver cheese. Anyway, that's right. Okay, oh, <laughs> let's get into the Evictors. We should yes. say the Evictors also has a great poster. Great, it uh, has a really great poster. Yeah, fantastic poster, really. And I did say fantastic. Um, let's see here. Victor's 1979, directed by Charles Pierce again. A young couple just married rents a house in a village in Louisiana, but they are not welcome because the inhabitants of the village look at them with distrust. Uh, I'm going to leave it at that. No, well, it says in the house they rented. It's just, it literally says this, and, and no offense, I'm not going to make fun of the person because Volker Boehm, Volker Boehm is the guy that wrote the uh, synopsis for IMDb. He says in the house they rented were happening strange things in the past. So English might not be his first language, but maybe he meant where. I hope so. I just missed the H. Anyway, uh, this stars Vic Morrow, Michael Parks back on the show. Has Michael Parks ever been on the show? Yeah, he has. Kill Bill and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, he's been on here before. There's a lot of great Michael Parks uh, performances in the past. Uh, he's actually pretty good in this film too. It should be said. I like it. A little bit more of his a different turn for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's still got that great Michael Parks delivery, you know. And the way he he might. And this is one of my notes. So I'm gonna go ahead and get out of the way. He might put a hat on better than anybody in cinema. I could get behind that statement. Yeah, I mean, he really knows how to put a hat on and draw attention to the fact that he's putting that fucking hat on. Michael Parks is a master of. Hey, this guy would not get up mid haircut. Let's put it that way. 
He would not. <laughs> he knows. And I'll tell you, you know, he's a guy that I don't think gets enough credit for the range that he is capable of because he is fantastic. Say what you will about the film, but he's fantastic in Red State. Oh, yeah, he is. He's great. He's great in it. I agree with you completely. Uh, he's he's usually pretty good in everything he's in, even if the films aren't. Mm-hmm. But uh, I do like him and his delivery. Uh, he just got a great way of. I mean, he just really draws your attention. He's a he's he's that kind of actor. Doesn't really have those lead looks so much, but I mean, he's just got a great way of talking and and saying lines of dialogue. I mean, he's just one of those actors. Like you know, I could see why Rodriguez and Tarantino drew that were drawn to him because with their dialogue, he's one of those kind of actors who can deliver that dialogue, like poetry. You know, mm-hmm. and he just does it really well. Um, okay, uh, let's see here. What we got? Uh, I forgot he was he was in Django Unchained, wasn't he? He was one of those guys at the back end. Him and John Jerry. Quint Dickey Mining Company. Yeah, that's right. I forgot. I forgot he was one of them. Can you believe that? Jesus, what the fuck's wrong with me? Anyway. Um, let me get into that here. Uh, okay, so yeah, we got Vic Morrow, who's always uh, interesting. On uh, even though every time I see him, even when he's a nice guy or whatever, I always think of him. He's just got a heavy's look. He totally does. He just always looks like a heavy. <laughs> always. Yeah, he does. Uh, he's just got that look. Uh, probably one of the greatest bad guys in the history of cinema, in my opinion, as the bad coach in, in uh, Bad News Bears. Oh yeah. Such oh, a yeah. fucking cunt. <laughs> He's been on our show a few times. He was uh, in uh, L'Ultimo Squalo, The Last Shark. Oh, yeah, he was. He's, That's right. He's the Quint uh, character. <laughs> um, the growling shark. Yeah. He's, uh, of course, he's, he was great in uh, Dirty Mary. Yes. Yes. Yeah, he's, he's a good one. We're both, and, of course, I think I said it back then, and I'll say it again. He played uh, Sam Powers in one episode of The Littlest Hobo, or as they called it in Quebec, Le Vagabond. <laughs> Le Vagabond. <laughs> that sounds much more, uh, I love that, Le Vagabond. <laughs> so, yeah. So this is uh, Vic Morrow, who, you know, sadly uh, uh, died, obviously, uh, the Twilight Zone incident, but that was only four years after this. So, uh, But, yeah, he's pretty reserved in this. Um, we got Jessica Harper in here as well, who had quite a run and has that great kind of innocent face with the great big doll eyes. Oh yeah, she has this. Really, it's not her first time on the show either. She was on Phantom, for Phantom, and wasn't she on for something else we did? Well, I know she's in a big film in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those of you who don't know who Jessica Harper is, I'm sure if you just look her up, you'll you'll uh, actually follow her on Facebook because she she's big into cooking. And, is uh, she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a big cook, a big oh, cooking. I'm impressed. Nut, I thought she'd so. be a bland cook for some reason. No, no, no. She's really uh, she likes to cook all kinds of things. So yeah, she's in the thunder. She's kind of fun. She's kind of fun. I'm not interviewing her, but she'd be a fun interview. I think Mike and them over at Projection Booth interviewed her once. Seems very like, cool. Seems yeah, like a very cool I, lady. I love her in this film, to be honest. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's great in this movie. She really is. Uh, she's, well, I mean, I've pretty much given away my MVT by saying that, but yeah. She, As am I. Yeah, so she's really good in this movie, <laughs> though. Um, so, you know, I like the basic premise of this film a lot. It's a very simple premise. Uh, this is coming after The Town of Dreaded Sundown. Um, but this is a very, actually, I'm kind of surprised that this premise isn't kind of like milked over and over and over again. I guess it probably has been done again in some way, shape or form. People moving into a town and the locals want to get rid of them. I mean, that's, that's a pretty common trope in some genre cinema. I'm having yeah. a hard time thinking of one off the top of my head, but, um, it's there. Uh, it is. and it's a very, 
the very simple thing they show. They kind of show the setup, and I, I like the way he shows shows the prologue because it, it's kind of a blind prologue, whereas like he's giving you a lot of information you just don't know it yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't find that out until later with some pictures you posted on my timeline <laughs> with a picture <laughs> of, of a very sweaty man. <laughs> and they should say that this movie is a sweaty one. This is a sweaty movie. Another sweaty one, yeah. But I don't, I don't, this one, and you put this one, The Town of the Dreaded Sundown, back to back, and it really makes me kind of sad that Pierce didn't get to direct more movies. Mm-hmm. Because I think this film's a, a little bit of a gem. It's not, it's not a great movie, but it's actually a nice little, like, thriller in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well acted, uh, well plotted, and uh, kind of well thought out. I really like the story structure of this thing. Um, the sepia tone flashbacks were kind of weird, but they were. There's this weird, okay. there's this weird screaming thing going on on the soundtrack though. Did you hear that? Yeah, I don't know what the fuck that is, but it really put me on edge. Yeah, it works well, and it really just got to me after a while. It's like this. I don't know. It's almost like this scary child choir thing. So I don't know what's going on. Very yeah. Italian cinema sounding in a lot of ways, you know. But it it really put me off. Um, uh, it's good to know that Pierce hasn't lost his affection for shooting people's shoes. I mean, he loves to shoot <laughs> legs and shoes. Of course, you know, that that's a very simple. I mean, the only other way I can think of to shoot a killer effectively is either you shoot their legs and don't show who they are so the audience doesn't know, or you shoot the POV. Uh, I guess you can shoot long shot, and of course you can shoot the actual character itself, but the character has to be masked. I don't think this character is masked, though, so they didn't want to give it away. But I got to say, you know, that stuff with people in the house, that stuff still freaks me out. That shit kind of shit, you know, people looking up a staircase and seeing a shadow. Or with you. Um, a windows. People looking in windows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking of that, too. Because he hangs on some windows in this movie. He'll, like, uh, Jessica Harper will be in front of a window, and she's looking out, and then she'll walk away, and then he hangs. And I'm waiting for the fucking guy to show up in that window, but he never does. Um, so, so I was taken aback uh, by Kitten Natividad. Uh, telling people on Facebook, please stop with the games. No games sent to me for request or I block you. <laughs> kitten, don't play around. I'm like, I gotta stand with Kitten on that, man. Yeah, yeah. Trying to, uh, yeah, I play games on Facebook sometimes, but I never invite people. Oh, man. I get them over and over. Yeah. Well, you got a lot of, you got a lot of, you got a lot more friends than me. You're a lot more, no. you're a lot more friendlier than I. No way. <laughs> two peas in a pod, man. Yeah, two peas in a pod, Darby. Get all kit and that's what I say. Yeah, oh yeah. That's what we we're called. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's why we're called. Uh, we we took away the movie geek, uh, the movie nerd, movie buff. We're the film boy dare boys. That's what I said. <laughs> Start calling us now, film boy dare boys. <laughs> oh man. Anyway, um, the film is a little slow going in spots. I did find a little bit of yeah. some of the exposition. <laughs> I just saw the Jermac, uh post. <laughs> yeah, I remember those commercials, man. <laughs> I'm going to type the only response you can type to that for me. Ready? There it goes right now. There we go. Anyway. Um, there it is. <laughs> yeah, there it is. That's the most social media. <laughs> I can hear the speed of the internet. I hear you click and I see the like pop up. It's very interesting. Um, but I do think the pacing overall is pretty good. I'm a little confused. Or maybe maybe I just wasn't paying attention. But I was a little confused on what exactly Michael Parks' job was. And maybe it wasn't important. But yeah, I don't think they fleshed that. I, I got the sense that he worked uh, as sort of an engineer for like a railroad company maybe mm-hmm. or like some sort of industry. I don't know. Yeah. 
Anyway, it was some type of job where he obviously couldn't leave quickly because at some point I know Harper wants to leave and he's like, you know, let me finish this job and then we'll go. Uh, so obviously he doesn't want to harm his reputation. It's a little bit of the, uh, you know, hey, hun, you you might be overreacting type thing. But, Which is something that you get a lot in these films, right? When the woman's left in, in the house mm-hmm. on her own, um, you get a lot of that but, for the sake of, uh, you know, the, the husband's perspective as his wife becomes an unreliable narrator. Yeah, yeah. But I do like that the Michael Clark Parks character really loves his wife. He, mm-hmm. uh, he teaches her how to shoot a gun. Which uh, may not be politically correct, but he loves her enough that if this stuff's really bothering her, he's going to teach her how to shoot a pistol. And I got uh, no problem with that. Yeah, I mean, if if she's herself. home by herself and she felt like her life yeah. was threatened, I'm, I yeah. listen. I'm not pro gun. No, no. If I'm, my, my wife needs to feel safe in the home. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I totally agree with you. I mean, I do t- <laughs> as well. I just saw that uh, in the wrestling and gold group, they they posted a, a picture of one of Bob Holly's early uh, Hollywood. <laughs> Yeah, Hollywood, uh, Bob Holly, and then they also got Bob Sparkplug Holly back when he did uh, the race car gimmick. And I, was I remember about that. Sparkplug. <laughs> um, anyway, um, but I did like that scene a lot. I mean, I, I say controversy or politically incorrect because nowadays you put a gun in anybody's hands and for something that's considered quote-unquote right-wing or some kind of bullshit like that. No, it's a woman who's scared and... If it's a big man or something, what's she going to do? Is she going to fucking karate chop him? Is she going to yeah. give him the dolomite chop? I don't think so. That's right. You know, she she gets a gun. I can tell you right now, yeah. I'm I'm not pro gun either. But if my wife didn't feel safe, uh, she would have a gun in her hand. It's simple as that. And that might piss people off, but I don't give a fuck. I'm with you, man. Hundred <laughs> percent. So, you know, I mean, I'm not pro gun either, and I think that there's a lot of things that can be done. But you know, fuck. Just well, anyway, I'm not going to get into that. This isn't silver and gold. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think Harper's eyes, she does a lot of acting with her eyes. Her Big fear, time. Her fear, her sadness. Um, there's a pivotal moment in this film, which we won't give away, because I didn't see it coming. i got to be honest with you, I didn't really see it coming. Uh, neither did I, actually, <laughs> well, surprisingly. And I know Todd, uh, our, our brewer, uh, brewmaster, he telegraphed it pretty early. He'd said, um, but I, I was a little bit surprised. Yeah, I didn't, I couldn't telegraph that one. Uh, I mean, bravo if you could, but I just, I did not see it coming. And actually, it was, well, I'm not gonna say anything because I don't want to give away because it'll give away something. So I'm not gonna say nothing, but I, did, I didn't see it coming. Let's just put it that way. And, uh, but I did like the twist it added to the, to the end game of the film. Mm-hmm. It really did add a nice, almost Twilight Zone twist to it. Yeah, that was really nice. This is a very simple movie, but I think it's a very simple, effective thriller. Uh, not so much a horror film. In some ways, it is, but because there is some nastiness to it, I guess. But and obviously, there's you know murder or violence and things. But I think more than anything, it's more like a thriller to me. So, mm-hmm. and I think it works really well. But I don't have a whole lot to say about the film because there's not really a lot. It's a it's a basic premise of moving into a house. People don't like you, blah, blah, blah. And, but there's not a lot you can give away because there's a central mystery to the film uh, that they kind of get into about the, I guess it's about a 90-minute film. And I think about the 70-minute mark, you start to get, everything starts to weed itself out. And uh, you start to understand where people are coming from. And then you start to remember the prologue. And they kind of go back to the prologue a little bit. and So it's well-constructed. It's, not, it's not, not genius, but just very workmanlike, well done. Yep, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Uh, AIP film. Those are all your notes, right? Yep, that's it. 
uh, AIP film, should say, mm-hmm. uh, and it opens. He closed uh, town with the slow-mo, and he opens with some Peckinpah-like violence in the slow-mo with this one, mm-hmm. uh, with the shootout. And I wonder if it's even the same locale or the same town. It seems to be some. So there's a few exteriors that look very, very similar to me. I'll check that out. It's Louisiana. Now, it looked very, there's a couple moments with like a forest in the daytime that looked identical. Well, it's uh, Wascom, Texas was another place they shot it, and it's possible Wascom, Texas could be East Texas for all I know. Yeah. Um, I have to say, I feel like this film, in some ways, you know, this uh, is at the end of Vietnam. And well, it was, what year was this? 70. 79? Hmm. Uh, yeah, 79. And Vietnam ended, what, 77, 76? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm, I'd have to look it up. Well, I feel like it was it, the, 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 the taste was still in everyone's mouth. Hmm. And I feel like... We're going back to that rib job joke. Yeah, no kidding, man. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, <laughs> um, I feel like, and I'm probably maybe reading way too much into this, but the last film looks at uh, people coming home from war and setting up a life for themselves, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then this one, I almost feel like, is this sort of, you know, uh, looking at it as the interpretation of it being, you know, looked at by strangers in a hostile way. Um, I don't know. Maybe I was late at night when I was taking these notes and I was reading too much into it. But I, I just seemed to get a bit of a through line with, with culture and uh, the American dream and ideal between the two films um, and that being interrupted or shattered. Um, Got a quick update here. Wascom, Texas is very much East Texas. There it's you go. about 20 miles away from Shreveport, Louisiana, where some of this film was shot too. So, so there you go. Very much a... Uh, very, very much the same area, essentially. Not exactly the same, but essentially. The land would be comparable. Yep. And they do look comparable in a lot of ways. The films do. The uh, the feel of them is very comparable, too. There's a black dude in this film. And what is he, like a traveling salesman of sorts? Like a, like he sells like chickens and cutlery and stuff? Was that? Yeah, something like that. I think that, he just sells local stuff or local wares. That dude sounded like Pootie Tang and the Pikey and uh, uh, Snatch. Yeah, man, that guy. I could not understand that guy. Man. Yeah, man, that's the way a lot of people talk down here. Not just uh, that's that's white and black and every other color down here. I mean, if you get into the thick parts of the South, man, it gets. I mean, you need subtitles in real life. <laughs> I, I, well, I laugh because I thought of you because you always need the subtitles. Not always, but you need them sometimes for the British films, and I don't really ever need them. Yeah. And normally with accents, mostly just usually... the very northern British films, like the really heavy <laughs> Scottish. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When you start getting into like train spotting territory and shit, you start getting way up there, Manchester. man. Manchester. Yeah. Some of Man- I've I've gotten pretty used to the Manchester thing, and I, it's odd because we know a few Mancunians now. Yeah. And uh, I really have no problem at all understanding those guys. You know, That's I can true. understand Paul and James and all those guys, and even. Uh, uh, Paul, another another friend of ours. I understand those guys perfectly fine when I've talked, chatted with them. But uh, yeah. it's funny because I've seen some Mancunians on TV or in films. I'm like, what the fuck did you just say? Oh, I know. I know. It's true. Uh, um, but yeah, that dude was hard to understand. I was getting like maybe every <laughs> second or third word. Yeah. yeah, like Yorkshire and Lancashire and, you know, those areas, <laughs> man. It gets thick. Um, the house itself is very beautiful. Yeah. You know, great job getting the house. 
Uh, and Harper's Eyes, that was actually my last note, just Harper's Eyes. I think they're used perfectly in this film. Uh, Phantom of the Paradise, it's more just kind of a straight-on acting role. She's really a catalyst for some things, but she's not really... It's not really her show. It's um, it's Paul Williams and... Um, what's his name there? Phantom. Uh, oh, uh, William Finley. It's Finley, kind of more Finley and... Williams film and that with you know sort of squaring off, but but this film I, I really feel like she puts in a great performance. Suspiria even she is more emblematic or symbolic of an innocent lamb, uh, kind of um, lost in the wilderness. Uh, whereas this is more utilizing her eyes. They're utilized well in, in Suspiria, but uh, they really are utilized well here. Um, like you said, for a number of emotions and yeah, that uh, that they really every director that's ever really worked with her has used her the innocence that she kind of conveys so well, mm-hmm. and even uh, Suspiria, which is a film that I have a a damaged relationship with, <laughs> that you don't. But I, even that film, I'll admit that uh, you know uh, Argento really uses her eyes very effectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he sure does. Um, it's so funny, man. It's so funny. Higgins twenty seconds ago just posted. A train spotting post on Facebook. You just said train spotting like a minute and a half ago. Yeah, me, me and the Bryn. Yeah, one, one in the same. On the same with. with uh, Neither one, one of us like to button all the way up, pants or shirts. Both of you, <laughs> both of you like the hoop cheese, and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know what to ask you. You might know what a good old hoop cheese is there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Manny likes a Henley shirt and a fine hoop cheese. Um. <laughs> But I love Vic Morrow, such a <laughs> such a pig in this. He's so sleazy. She gets mad at him because he's you know he's, he's a bit dodgy. And um, another example of kind of people. Well, you get a lot of examples really of, of strangers in strange towns. Everything from Southern Comfort to what's it called? The one with the camper race with the devil. Yeah, yeah. You get a lot of that. But he he's not really that kind of character. He's just more a skeevy real estate man. But he says. Uh, and Harper gets mad at him because you you look real nice when you're angry. <laughs> He's just so uh he kind of such a pig in the film. Um let me see what else we got here. They use a lot of flashbacks in the film. Yeah. They do. Maybe maybe one too many. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, and, and I think it's the sepia tone to it and everything else. It gets to be it's like every time they want to do some exposition, instead of having the actors portray the exposition, they just go to a flashback. Which yeah, which after a while it became obvious that it was it was the device was being used as a crutch. Yeah, uh, Parks and Harper are good together. They're believable as a the couple. They have some chemistry. Yeah, they really they really are. And it's strange to see Parks in kind of a somewhat soft spoken role like this. It almost reminds me of uh, like a Patrick. He looks a little bit like Patrick Wilson in this. <laughs> he does. Yeah, very strange. Um, <laughs> There's a moment with some really wacky music during the stalking scenes at the house. It's like this old-timey circus music. Yeah, I know. They, they, that's one Very thing strange. I don't know what Pierce was going for with that. I just don't know. But, you know, but, uh, he gives it his own little flair, I guess. Yeah, there's the Louisiana cousin of John Jarrett. <laughs> in this house. That's what it reminded me of with the hat and everything. Yeah. And, uh, but then when the dude takes his hat off, he looks like the love child of Will Ferrell and Clint Howard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, uh, I like you. There's a, a reveal at the back end that I didn't see coming. But I have to say, I feel like the film feels kind of flat throughout. Like, it's good, but it just kind of 
moves along at an economical pace and doesn't really it never, spike. Yeah, it never spikes. It never amps up. Like it never, right. it never goes that one step where you really. I never really felt like I felt like Harper was in danger, but I never really felt like she was in true, like horrible peril. Yeah, danger. Yeah, true peril. Mm-hmm. You know, I never really felt that. So that that is true. That is you know that is some of the the slogging that's in there. Some of that slow spot stuff. That's what I was kind of meant to say. Is that she never really feels like she. I mean, obviously somebody's in your house. That's that's an awful thing. And, oh yeah. And you know that should be addressed. Obviously, and not only that, it should be very scary. You know, and all these things. But I just never really felt like. You know, unlike Don Wells and Town of the Dreaded Sundown, you know, I felt like her life well was in peril. So that's right. Yeah, that's right. I quite like. Um, I want to say her name is Sue Ann Langdon. She oh, was yeah. the woman, the neighbor, the friendly neighbor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked her. I thought she was she was fine in the film. Yeah, uh, I did the old Google search on that one, there, boy. Yeah, man. <laughs> you know it. Well, she was in something when I was growing up. And I thought she was kind of hot, and it was yeah, bizarre. Was so oh, agree. she played a, a a wife or something in Zapped, the damn Scott Bale movie. Nice. But I remember thinking, I wonder what she looks like nude. Yeah, she's she's cute. She's very cute. Yeah, she yeah, is. No, yeah, she's playing. Well, I'm not gonna get into it, but yeah. All right, um, I make a break. Uh, I kind of like the the reveal scene. Uh, we kind of talked about that a little bit without giving any names away or saying anything, uh, but. I did like that scene a little bit, and especially between those two actors. I thought it was kind of a nice thing. That was where the only, really where I ever really felt any true tension amping up is when they get to that house and oh, some yeah. things go down. Um, so need a little bit more of that maybe. Um, MVT is Harper. That's an easy one. She's really great in the film. Although, like I say, uh, Morrow and, um, and Parks are both great in the film too. And not only that, but like Will mentioned, uh, Sue, Sue Ann Langdon, Langdon, she's having uh, fun chewing some scenery up here, too, in this one. So she had a good time. What, what have I seen her? What else have I seen her in? Anyway, um, my score for the film, uh, 6.75. I give, it, I give it what you gave uh, Town of the Dress Sundown, 6.75. I, very good. Uh, it looked good. looks great. Uh, that kind of helped it a lot. Loved the way it looked. and uh, I had a good time with it. That first time watch, and uh, I would watch it again. Definitely the acting is top-notch. Mm-hmm. Nice. My um, make or break. I like when they first get into the house and we're getting this note. I think they get a note that says, you should move or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, move, move now or something. Move now or something. I just think I love that because it's so unsettling. Yeah. And it's such a small thing. You get a note sent to you that tells you to move, but... If you put yourself in that moment, you imagine getting a note like that when you first move into a house. Yeah. It's pretty unsettling stuff. You don't know the neighborhood. It's uh, very unsettling, certainly. So I really like that. And, you know, you get, it's the scene where you really see the strength in Harper and Park's relationship, too. Yeah. Um, very Hitchcocky in a way that note. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I MBT Harper. I think she's, she's great. Um, in the film, she has conviction. She's steely. Without being over the top, I mean, she's not. Um, what's her name? Ramirez and Aliens. <laughs> yeah. She's she's not that, yeah. but she's certainly steely, and you know, she's she's gonna defend herself. Uh, my score is a little low. Yours is a six point two five. I feel like the film is a little bit more of a flatliner than um, Town that did a Sundown. Hmm. Um, you know, it's still definitely worth a watch. Like you said, 
the thing about Pierce is he doesn't shit the bed. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he's, he's serviceable right across the board and gets good performance. There's no sort of assemble a cast and, you know, good locations, good yeah. eye for that stuff. So. Yeah. yeah, he's got a great eye and he gets good performances. So, I mean, that's, you know, he's two for three there. You know, I mean, his films can sometimes be a little bit of a mess, but, uh, you know, if you can get good performances and get a good good look to a film, I mean, you're halfway, you're more than halfway there. So she was in, uh, Sue Ann Langdon was in uh, Without Warning, which we did. That's crazy. I didn't, oh, I don't nice. hardly remember in that. Yeah. She was in it. All right. We're not going to take a break this time because I didn't make a break for the third film. So what we're going to do is jump right into Night of the Comets. So professional nice. here at the uh, the GGTMC. Now, let me get this out of the way. Night of the Comet. We posted that we were watching this. A lot of people were excited that we were watching it. I'm not saying any, you know that, that leads to bad feelings or bad things or any of that kind of stuff. I'm just saying... I knew this film had a pretty rabid fan base. A lot of people watched it on cable or video back in the day. So uh, it's been on our roadmap for ages, and we've been wanting to talk about it for ages. Will have been wanting to watch it for ages. I think he had it on VHS or something. Did you have DVD? Yeah, I've had it on DVD since before we started the show. And um, I just, when you'd put it on the road, I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to watch it now. I'm not going to watch it now. And here we are. So here we are, finally covering uh, Night of the Comet, uh, the Blu-ray release. So, okay, here's the uh, it's 1984, directed by Tom Eberhardt. Uh, a comet wipes out most of life on Earth, leaving two valley girls, quote-unquote, to fight the evil types who survive. Okay, so this was your first time watching this, and I'm sure a lot of people that listen to this show are anticipating what you got to say about it, because, like I said, this film has... It does have a devoted following. It's one of those type of movies, so... Yeah, it's, um, yeah, this film I felt like, uh, you know, for some reason always eluded me despite owning it for years. And um, it seems like everyone that has seen it has a, and I got to say, I'm probably going to mix their names up in the middle of the review, but uh, it seems like everyone from from Roop to, to I think even you have a thing for Catherine Mary Stewart. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I have a thing for her. I mean, I, she's not like my 80s thing. I think my 80s thing was probably... Uh Betsy Russell? Yeah, probably Betsy Russell. Uh, yeah. Off the top of my head, that's the one I can think of the quickest, yeah. Phoebe yeah. Cates, maybe. Phoebe Cates would be mine, yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe Or maybe Lisa Lisa. Mm, that's not a bad one. Not a bad one at all. Don't even but, get me started. Uh, Apollonia. I mean, we could Apollonia go on. Apollonia Vanity. We could go on and on for <laughs> yeah. days and days and days. Uh, Jeffrey Lewis. We could go on Jeffrey for hours. Jeffrey Lewis. <laughs> They're talking about bad rugs. <laughs> You got the streak is alive and all, man. Jeffrey Lewis with a bad rug. I have a weird thing for Mary Warnoff, too. I don't know what it Dude, is. Dude, you you know what? I was going to throw Zom under the bus and say Zom has a thing for Mary Warnoff, but I'm going to let the cat out of the bag because it's late at night and I'm tired. I don't give a fuck. I'm going to be gross right now. There's a picture that was floating around on Tumblr of her naked uh-huh. sitting on a, a, a table where her, well, Hervé Villachez was in the background. I used to stare at that picture for a long time, man. There you go. I don't know what it is about her, but I do find her hot, and <laughs> and I know Zom likes her too. So, it's it's unconventionally pretty, but uh, it is not it pretty is when, Uncon- unconventionally sexy. It is when you think about it, because Zom's in this movie, so it's very strange. <laughs> it is ironic. <laughs> That's right. We get another week with another Michael Bowen performance. <laughs> yeah, good old Michael it's, Bowen. He's only slightly douchebaggy in this one. I don't find him douchey at all. I find him to be actually pretty sweet. And for once, he gets to play like a, a face. Well, I mean, he's only a little douchey because you know he's going to make her kind of stay in there while he gets uh, he bootlegs a movie and he gets laid. So, but you know, that's only Tom gets to for, lay down for him, the trim, man. For Michael Bowen, 
You're right. He's, he's an angel. Prince. He's an angel in this film. He's a prince. And I hope poor Zom doesn't think that we mean he's a douche. It just, no, he, we do Michael not. Bowen looks like the older brother of Zom. I don't think Zom's a, Zom's a sweetheart. He just smells like a douche sometimes. He is a sweetie. Yeah. <laughs> no, just, <laughs> a little oil and vinegar. They better, better douche than hoop cheese. <laughs> yeah, sure. We still don't know what that is, but it can be good. Yeah. No, but I, man, I got to find that picture of Mary Warnock and. Uh, I'm getting ready. I, I'm Googling that now, but I'm also getting ready to Google hoop cheese here in about five minutes, and I'm kind of scared to. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, oh man, I, there's a lot is. of a lot of pictures of Mary Warren. Oh, here. there's this picture. I found it. Well, you did. Oh, there it is. I see it. Yeah. Nice. Fucking Herve, man. So GGTMC. Look at him. Oh, Herve was man. What a don. Yeah. He was laying down. Uh, he was laying down someone nice too. Um, oh, what's her name? She's not great looking. She's got a great body. Um, oh, we cut. I can't remember. Why can't I, why can't I remember her name now off the top of my head? I love her. I, I was gonna say Kay Parker. Jeez, <laughs> not Kay Parker. Uh, oh God, what's her name? Fuck, I'm gonna have to look it up. She won a Best Supporting Actress uh, award. Yeah, good actress. Fat man. City. Oh, I can't remember the name of her right now. We're terrible, man. I'm so tired. It's unbelievable right now. I'm gonna be stumbling all night. <laughs> Instead of typing Forbidden Zone, of course, I type Forbidden City. So. <laughs> I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing. Nice. Susan Tyrell. Yes, there, there it is. God, Man, I just found a picture of, uh, <laughs> of speaking of Mary Warnov, she, she looks so much like Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> she does. When, she, when she's wearing this demon makeup in Warlock. Oh, yeah, I could see that because they do have the kind of the same facial structure, that high cheekbone, very narrow chin. Yeah, I could see Benedict and uh, Mary. Yeah, but uh, just very impressed with Hervé. As we and, said before with Michael Bowen, we should say, though, he is the melding of Zom and Loaf. I mean, he wears the Loaf hat, but he looks like Zom. That's right. So he is the yeah, He sure man. does. But, um, but yeah, so this one's got a fun cast. Eberhardt's a guy that um, didn't do a ton. You know, he wrote and directed this. Um, Soul Survivor is one that has a bit of notoriety. A little bit of a snoozer, though, for my tastes. Mm-hmm. I like uh, Without a Clue. It's a uh, Michael Caine, Sherlock Holmes film. Kind of a comedy. I saw that as a kid, actually, and I have not seen it since. So yeah. I couldn't really uh, comment on it. He did Captain Ron. The, uh, yeah, which is okay. But again, I haven't <laughs> seen it. And he wrote Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, yeah. which I'm planning on watching those films with my kids pretty soon. Yeah, Captain Ron, the unofficial sequel to Escape from New York. Yeah. <laughs> I know that he's uh he was well respected and I watched a little bit of the interviews on the uh, on the uh the disc and this comes with the but we should say both all these discs come with great uh, bonuses. Not only do you get another film with the town of Sunday, but you get a commentary and some interviews and uh, you get the you get three commentaries with this film mm-hmm. uh, and some interviews and stuff and the the ladies have aged pretty well um considering, you know, yeah, it's not. It's a thankless task to be a Hollywood cutie. It is. It totally is. And I have to say, I um, can I just say that Robert Beltran has the same birthday as me. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, he gets to play dress up in this. He plays Santa. He plays a cowboy wearing loaf pants. <laughs> you can see his cock outline in those those cowboy pants. Well, there it's you insane. go. Man. Those pants are so tight. We got two cock outlines because Andrew Prun's uh, cock outlines and those uh, khakis. <laughs> there you go. Too, man, so. <laughs> That's it. Um, but Kelly Maroney, I got to tell you, she reminds me in this so much of uh, Michelle Williams. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
like if Michelle Williams was 80s and had, mm-hmm. you know, the hair like that. Uh, I'm glad that this film, see, my, my preconceived notion of this film is this. It would fall in the realm with Night of the Creeps, Return of the Living Dead, films like that. That, I, that would be pacey, well-written horror comedies, culty yeah. kind of horror comedies. That's kind of, you know, what my, my at first blush, what I was thinking it would have been. And I, w- I was going to say earlier, I always mix up Mary Stuart Masterson and Catherine Mary, Catherine Mary Stuart. Yeah, yeah. So I'll pro- like in terms of their names, they don't look very much alike, certainly. But... Um, yeah, this one has a fun cast. We talked about a little bit with uh, Louis Moranov and Maroney and Beltran. And, of course, Catherine Mary Stewart says the centerpiece. Um, the uh, – what does this say? Tamest – oh, the tamest end of the world party in cinema history takes place <laughs> at the beginning of this film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really does. But you do get a great scene between uh, um, a stepmom and a daughter. Yes. Uh, that you that, – that, I think takes a turn that you don't normally see. Yeah, this is very true. <laughs> and very uh, true. that actress, yes, I've seen her in other stuff before too. Yeah, you get a little slap fight, and yeah, she she's got uh, her, the headlights are on in a in a sweater, a sweater yeah. dress. So that's impressive. It is impressive. That's, that's hard to pull off. There's a uh, yeah, no pun intended. <laughs> we we are so we are such pigs tonight. <laughs> we are, but there's a great line. Uh, I think one of them talking about um. A, a guy or a boy that's not really well received by the parents. I think it's by the parents. And they say, you were born with an asshole. You don't need Chuck. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Pretty fantastic. There's so much feathered hair in this film. I got to say, Catherine Mary Stewart to me is the kind of actress that um, looks better sort of living and breathing. Hey, good Edmonton girl. Yeah. Alberta represent. Yeah. 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 Wow. She, one of her alternate names that says is Scarface Nursel. What does that even mean? Her real last name is Nursel. Is it? Yeah, but uh, Scarface, I don't know what that means. Scarface, Nursel. Looks like, she, yeah, she has aged quite well. She is. Good-looking woman. Yeah, she is. Yeah. But, um, yeah, she's. She, I, I quite like her in the film. I feel like she is very capable. Yeah, she's very likable, too. She's very likable. She's very capable. She feels like a tomboy in the best possible sense. Mm-hmm. Jamming, on, jamming on the Tempest there, boy. Yeah, man. She's uh, she's you know she's playing the arcade game. So I have to ask and, you a question, just right off the top of the bed. Yeah, how eighties is the opening of this film? Oh, it is so much. <laughs> but this see, this is the kind of film I think that I keep wanting to see on Blu-ray because of the color palette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like from Beyond this. You well, know, they, they shoot those... they shoot that uh, in that radio station. They shoot that nice neon. Oh man, it looks pretty good. It looks really fantastic. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, the opening is very eighties, very eighties indeed. <laughs> but uh, so eighties. I mean, the the uh, the movie theater itself, um, the the video I love games. The yeah, movie theater. Yeah, it looked great. It really did. It really took me back. Oh, it totally took me back. And I love just the, I just and you know, I love the the notion of. I just I love look again. It's going to be very nostalgic for people like us, our age, because this is the age we grew up in. But to see that thing of putting your three character name on a high score list of an arcade, like as you play an arcade game. Yeah. I really like that, which there's a nice payoff with that at the back end. Yes, there is. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, I feel like she's really good. Uh, There's some really sexy saxy in this. Oh yeah. They they lay the sax on pretty good. Um, Now Eberhardt does a good job, I think with probably a limited budget. Um, 
the creatures, and I wasn't quite sure on the science of this. Why was it some people were zombies and some were turned into dust? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I've never really thought about the science of the film until we until I have to critically <laughs> think about it, right? <laughs> well, so. see, and, and I would think about the science because I'd never seen it before, right? Right, right. And that's the thing sometimes is when you watch a film so much as a child, there's things you don't even think about. Right. I still didn't even think about it until we until I did this review of it. I still didn't think because I don't really think there's an explanation. Now, I do think that that's why you get a lot of these scenes with another group of survivors, these doctors. Uh, let me just say it's it's. It's. I love to live in a world where Mary Warnov and Jeffrey Lewis are doctors. Okay. Yeah, that's if amazing. You know anything about? I mean, Mary Warnov's a very intelligent woman. I'm sure Jeffrey Lewis yeah. is a very eccentric person, to say the least. Not he, saying he they seem, couldn't. He be seems that like doctors. he'd make a good dad. Yeah. 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 Which right. I probably said before. He's just he he's an interesting actor anyway, great character actor and yeah. and uh just a, I know from what I've read he's just a very eccentric guy. So, you know, he's just one of those guys off screen. He's just very odd. He's one of my favorite faces to see in films. Oh, I love him. I love him. I love so Jeffrey Lewis. You put him uh, with Clint Eastwood and I I just I smile like a little baby. Yep. No, I'm with you 100 percent on that. Um But I I put, agree with you. I don't I don't I don't understand why some are zombies essentially and these are essentially zombie makeups now the makeup guy that worked on this worked with rick baker on the thriller video i found that out from watching the documentary and you yeah. really get that vibe from these zombies you do the makeup looks good i mean it looks good i'll tell you i'm glad they don't overstate because the big thing too i think with this that the, the notion going in was valley girls valley girls were a thing i mean it was a it was a oh, like it was people huge talk about, yeah. people talk about hipsters nowadays or or whatever but Valley girls were huge. Like there was books written. Yeah. There was a whole cottage industry on mm-hmm. how to be a valley girl. I mean, it was such a trend. Yeah, it was huge. And I'm, I'm glad they don't overstate the quote-unquote valley girl thing. Like Maroney does it a little more than Stuart does, but neither one of them is like twirling their hair, chewing gum all the time. Yeah, they don't overdo it. They do. This feels more like what a valley girl probably was more Probably like. was more really like. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, Eberhardt does a really great job with like, – how would they have done that red haze effect throughout the film? Because they get a lot of kind of a, a static shots of the city post this uh, incident, and there's this red haze over the city. And I think it looks really fantastic. But how would they have done that, do you think, in this era all, of practical effects? All I can think is maybe like some type of gel. Like maybe they put like a gel over the camera, like a mat or something. Yeah, maybe? I was wondering that if that was what it was too. Because it does kind of look like that a little bit. I do know that I found that out from watching the documentary because I'd always wondered. They shoot this film in L.A. And they shoot it in L.A. with nobody on the street. So I was like, well, how the hell did they pull that off? Because that's really hard to do. Oh, yeah. The bigger the city, the tougher that is to do. Unless you got a lot of money. Well, they don't have a lot of money. So come to find out, they shot it Christmas Day early in the morning. No way. So nobody was out because everybody was still either one sleeping or getting up. and So the city was essentially shut down. Yeah, because nobody that's smart. Was out. Yeah, so they only used like a couple of little corners and stuff, but that is smart. That saved them money and stuff. Of course, it sucks for the people working, but yeah, it does. I mean, it does add that great thing in cinema. It's always great in movies when you see very lived-in cities. Like Twenty Eight Days Later, you see London. Even in uh, Vanilla Sky, I think was it? They Vanilla Sky like, was the one that came to mind when I watched this because yeah. they did. They have New York shut down basically. And Times Square shut down, which is like one of the meccas for tourism and everything. I mean, it's it's really interesting when they do that because it, it, it lends itself to so much of your imagination when you see these lived-in places eventually, essentially vacant. 
Yeah. It really adds a weight and an impact to the event that made that happen. Yep. yep. Yeah, no, it works quite well. Uh, I think the dialogue is pretty good. It's pretty well written. Like the, a lot of the exchanges between the characters are pretty snappy and zippy and almost feels Whedon-esque without being overly cute. Um, you know, I liked it. Um, there's some nice Easter eggs in the film, which remind me of like Fred Decker type stuff. Like, um, there's a poster for a John Wayne film, red dust. <laughs> yeah. It's in there. <laughs> and what's funny is this has a lot of, um, a lot of ties to, um, oh gosh, like the AIP stuff, like with, you know, Warnov and um, Beltran. And I think mm-hmm. it was, he wasn't he Raul, I think, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. You yeah. Know? yeah. So there's like, there's, there's that tie with, with that. And, um, you know, there's just you know, some of the posters like Beastmaster and Death Race 2000 you see in the walls. And really, really, really nice to see little Easter egg things. And, and the Blu-ray, again, looks very good. This is the kind of film and the palette and aesthetic that an era that I think I really always want to see on blue. Yeah. yeah. Um, the zombie thing, like I said, it might... I don't think they overdo that either, though. They don't overdo it. Um, the film is more about the survival of these characters and the practical kind of um, just getting through the day with these characters without too much kind of heavy set piece or like there's not this big horde of, of creatures. Yeah. You never get any of that, which I'd thought incorrectly based on the poster, right. especially that, that one with like the doorway. Yeah. It was going to be like this horde of, of creatures, but there's never is really that. And, um, no, it's really more essentially, it's almost like a little bit of a chamber piece or a character piece yeah. set against the apocalypse. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's really what it is. And the zombies talk in this, which is always kind of a bit surprising yeah, or off. See, like, always, call them yeah, yeah, that's that's the thing. I almost don't, don't want to call them zombies because really what they seem to me more is not infected either. They just seem to me people who've gotten like, like they were just out of reach of the radiation that turns yeah. these people to dust. So they're almost ill. Like Nightmare City. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> a little bit. They're not looking. zombies either, man. <laughs> yeah, those mud face uh, creatures <laughs> shooting guns, ripping off titties. And- yeah. The problem with those guys is they get too close to the rim when they do the rim job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, the, 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 they feel like they're, you know, regular people who just have, you know, just dodged. Like they got some radiation burn and they decided to use it as a zombie and stuff. Now, the, really the only real horror elements in this come from, in my opinion, they almost only come from flashback scenes or from dreams. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have liked some more of the, the three or four characters in the mall. Mm-hmm. That are living in the mall when they get in the mall, the uh, the two girls, and I would have liked some more of that. That could have been fun. It, it feels sort of that's that thing. You know, there's some things that are always fun to see in malls, whether they become sort of cliche or not, like the montage of having the mall at your disposal. Oh yeah, trying on silly hats and, <laughs> and all that stuff. I mean, you're going to see it. That's fine. I'm fine with that because mm-hmm. it's something a bit of a fantasy that I think probably any of us would live out if we had the opportunity. Right. Um, and then also that thing of you get this sort of dueling camps within the, the, the dawn of the dead thing right with like the bikers and right with this you kind of these like new wavy guys this guy with an awesome robe that says willie yeah. which is amazing um he, he's quite good in the film that you know it's kind of comes out of nowhere but um it's uh it makes for some, i think it, it freshens things up a bit because one thing i will say about this film one shortcoming respectfully to this film and, and admittedly, I think this is probably, well, it's most certainly uh, me speaking through nostalgia, is I feel like Return of the Living Dead and Night of the Creeps are much better paced than this film. Yes. 
Yes. This film's good, but I feel like it stands around a little too much for its own good at times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas those two films, they're constantly moving and they're equally as, or even better written um, than this. Yep. Not to not to discredit this, because this, right. this is just a little bit of a lesser version of what those do, I think, quite right. well. Right. Um, I love, and again, I think the characters in this are all likable. Like, Beltran's likable. Um, you get some really shitty, casual white girl racism from... Uh, yeah. Um, Catherine Ray Stewart's character when she says, uh, "Oh, uh, what did she say? What was it date night in the barrio?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which you'd never get that line from like your leading kind of uh, no female today. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the character, the character you're, you're the character you're supposed to root for, and she's saying, you know, date night in the barrio. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I do quite. I do. Like I said, I do think the characters are all likably written. Like there's the moment with Maroni when she gets on the radio station, and I love the idea of the radio station being this island of sorts, of this last bastion of civilization and humanity, Mm -hmm. um, and being kind of the voice throughout the film or this thread throughout the film. It doesn't really play that kind of role in this, but I love at least even the, the the prospect of that because it gives Maroni a chance to kind of riff on some things. And and one of the funny moments she has when she. She starts declaring like changes in laws, and she says the drinking age is ten, and all these kind of silly things. It gives her a very human touch in the yeah. film. The, uh, the I'm looking at the IMDb. It says it was made for three million, and it made about fourteen million. So it was a, it was a modest hit. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, Warnov's ice cold in this film. Man. She's ice cold, but she's got a great moment. At the, like her final moment in the film is pretty good. It is good. It is good. She's very really good. Like uh, in this film, it's a limited role, but she she does the best with it, right? So she kills it in the the limited time she does have on screen, as always. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked again another week of uh, bad rugs with Jeffrey Taylor, and uh, we get <laughs> right. girls just want to have fun, but it, it's strange. It's like the mini pops version. Yeah, yeah, it is weird. Do you remember that fad when? Um, <laughs> like cassettes, cassette companies, and like record labels couldn't put out enough content so when they couldn't um get like the rights to put together like let's just say like you know greatest hits they would get like some shitty cover artist to cover all the greatest hits yes do you remember that fad yeah, yeah. like you'd get a like, you'd get like a susu studio sung by like so just some no name or you'd get uh yeah. girls want to have sung girls just want to have sung <laughs> girls just want to have fun sung by uh you know uh, a no name. You're like, wait a second, this isn't Cindy Lauper. Yeah, yeah, they did that all the time. Very strange fad. Uh, I like that this film has two females and kind of s- strong without being sort of overtly showy strong roles. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, it's, it's such a breath of fresh air at a time when most women were nude in films. And listen, I'm a guy, I'm a pig. We've talked about rim jobs and, and you know, <laughs> wanted to. F- fuck Mary Warnoff in this review alone but in saying that it's nice to see well-rounded well-fleshed out uh, female strong female characters in the film we're equal opportunity pigs though we did talk about the professor as well so we did yes let no one say that we're not equal opportunity um, I like that too I like that there's no nudity in the film really I like that the close cheapen things a bit yeah I like that as close as you come is really kind of like uh, Maroni yeah dancing around and likes a little lingerie thing and and that's sexy enough, and she's cute, and and I don't want to see her that no. way, you know. I no, just, I don't either. So it is nice that it's done that way. I mean, it's about as piggish as it gets. Really, is the Michael Bowen character? But again, they're just being teenagers. Yeah, exactly. But you can't really fault them for. It. And another moment outside of the racism, there's like a moment of um, 
like a, a pretty shitty, I can't remember who it is, but someone's called a fag in the film. Yeah. Which is pretty unfortunate, but again, a sign of the times, unfortunately. Um, it's, so yeah, not, the, it's not nearly as bad as Slapshot, so I think it's no, not. it's definitely not. Uh, the Willy robe, like I said, is amazing. Yeah. That dude's got fingerless gloves and an ascot, ascot on with his robe. It's, it's amazing, yeah. Well, it wouldn't you do that too if you had them all at your disposal? Absolutely, I would. I, that robe's really good, though. <laughs> I think that, like I said, that group adds some life to the film when things kind of have, have gotten a bit still. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they need. Yeah. I think they needed just a little bit more of that. A little bit more. I think they more conflict. I think, I think they go back to the doctors too much. They do, and they, they should. Do. And I don't think they even really needed the doctor angle, to be honest. No, maybe one or two scenes. Yeah, really. maybe just set it up and then the, the, to close it out. Mm-hmm. Yep. They don't need any more than that. And see, I remember watching it years ago and thinking there wasn't that much doctor stuff in it. And watching it this time, it's a fair bit. There's quite a bit of doctor stuff in it actually. Jeffrey Lewis and Warnoff are in the film quite a bit. I would have liked more Michael Bowen. Oh yeah, I would have liked for him to survive. I would have liked Bowen to have been to the two female leads what the female lead usually is in a conventional horror film. Yeah, you, you know what I mean, you like keep, the tag along. Yeah, you keep Bowen's character alive. Yeah, and at some point, instead of getting rid, instead of doing something else with uh, the Warrenov character, Michael Bowen hits on Warrenov. Yeah, <laughs> and then I get my long-awaited Michael Bowen Mary Warrenov sex scene. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's it. Um, I think uh, Eberhardt does a really good job of shooting a lot of close-up stuff like faces and inanimate objects, mm-hmm. like to show the stillness of the city without life. And, you know, again, it's well-written. There's a really nice line from Warnov to show she's not a complete fucking Terminator because her last scene is really poignant and she sort of says the line, you know what, I'll, I think it's her. She's, or maybe it's actually Kelly Maroney to her. One of them says, you know what, I'll miss Christmas. Yeah. Being the end of the world. Yeah. Really great little line. Um, I think Eberhard, I think what Eberhardt does really well is he the camaraderie between Maroney and Stewart is kind of amazing. Really, the yeah. scene where the, she's teaching her the, with the uh, guns oh, is yeah. great. The scene where the guys come over the mic in the mall and that's fun. I uh, love that. Scene. Stewart just looks at her and goes, "Where are the guns?" You know, she just mouths yeah. it. And uh, that scene's great because that character uh, Wilson or Willie or whatever Peter Fox, I guess it is. Yeah. Um, it's uh, he's he's really good in that moment. He has, like I said, a really good energy. But uh, I have to say that Eberhardt. Oh man, I just clicked on that Mary Warnov Benedict Cumberbatch picture. Uh, he Eberhardt must love feet because he shoots women's feet and heels so much in this film. Yeah, he does. He does. It's unbelievable. Um, what did I say here? Oh yeah, the shadowy scientist stuff. Like I said, a little too much. Um, I think Lewis has too kind of a face to play the heel in a film. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Yeah. I mean, I've seen him play bad guys before or just shit heels before, and he's done I well. But I, I, It's not that he's not good. I just feel like he – maybe it's because I like him better as a, as a kindly eccentric. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't feel like he, he gives you the vibe of a, no. of, of a heel in this film. So I don't know. It, it, it's a weird performance. It's really a very dialed down. Jeffrey Lewis performance in a lot of ways. Like Warnoff, it's almost like she got the memo and Lewis didn't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Or she just stole his mojo, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she does attract attention. I mean, she's this tall, lanky woman, but she. Yeah. One thing you can say about Mary Warnoff is she exudes power on camera. She does. So, so that's very interesting. 
Is that all your notes? Yes. All right. I'm sure people could be happy to hear that, man. Uh, like I said, you know, this film was very nostalgic for me. I saw it a lot on cable growing up. It was always on, and I, it was one of those films where I would always watch it with, like, the hope, and being a young teenage boy <laughs> or preteen boy, that, uh, you know, one of the characters would get nude in it. And it's like I always forgot that nobody ever got nude in it. And, uh, you know, because you look for these things late at night when you're a teenage boy. You know, this is the kind of stuff you look for. But, uh, you know, I, I do like that this is a simple horror film. Like, it it could be like, if, if you want to turn your, your kids on to horror, it could be like a first horror film in some ways. Mm-hmm. Like an early yeah. horror film. Because uh, it's not quite as harsh in spots. Or maybe, I don't know if harsh is the right word, but Night of the Creeps has got the, the slimy slugs a little bit. So... That could be a little intense. I don't like the fast-moving slugs. That could be a little intense for a young child. And, and uh, well, Night of the Living Dead works fine, I think. You know, Some of these things work fine. I mean, I always think about the horror films I'd like my son to see first and stuff. And this one, I think, fits the bill. It's got some great moments. I guess the cop moment is a little intense. Yeah. Maybe. Especially the second. Well, no, yeah, I'd say both those moments are a little intense. So maybe, maybe not. But anyway, it's, it is interesting. I'm with you, though, that... I was I was going back into this. I hadn't seen this in years, and I'm going back into it and thinking, man, I don't know how I'm going to address this Valley Girl stuff because it it's it's of an era, and it's so much of an era that I don't know how we address it. You know, uh, do I address it by mocking it and talking like a Valley Girl? Do I address it by saying this? But the the thing is, is that the fact that these girls are quote unquote Valley Girls is only brought up in the sensibility of their geography of where they are. It's very little of the stereotypical uh, Valley Girl, you know, the gag me with the spoon, the yeah, like like for sure. I mean, you hear a few things in there, but mm-hmm. you don't hear nearly the the stereotypes that were associated with that for years uh, and became a thing. You just don't hear it. And I think that the the love between the two characters, the the kind of the motherly, because they're 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 half sisters, right? That's right, yeah. Yeah, and the kind of motherly take that Stuart takes on throughout the film to the Maroney character, and kind of like the confession, the Maroney at one point, to Stuart. There's a great scene between them two about a, a boy and how Stuart always gets the boys. Yes, that's right. And that that, that felt very real to me. That oh, felt like a very much a little sister, big sister moment, you know? So, I mean, I don't know. I'm not, been a, I'm not a sister, and I, and I have a little brother, but... Uh, you do get moments like that where you, you have this kind of frustration at your sibling, a young or older, you know, you have these frustrations sometimes that you, know, you can get so angry at your siblings. It's amazing. These people you grow to love and you don't know anything else, but you can get so angry at them, you know? So it is very, I, I like that they address that a little bit too. And then I like that they kind of cap that off with them kind of laughing about the whole fucking thing. Cause they really realize now that the world has ended, it's really very fucking ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. No, very no. shallow you know it's like i think that that's one of the more interesting things about this film is your is it's not just an apocalypse tale it's it's basically a, a coming of age story with that as a background and uh i like the full circle that these characters come to to the point where moroni you can tell she's a younger character and toward the end she's going to get her maybe something kick-started by an appearance of another character whereas I- Stuart's kind of there already I didn't really care for like the make cute. Oh yeah, moment at the back end with like the. I don't think it needed all the dialogue. I didn't mind the moment. I don't think it needed all the dialogue. Yeah, I think it only needed a couple lines. 
I mean, what? The, I mean, what you you don't need all that dialogue. So no, I think he says he has twenty five of them or something like those Mercedes. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's right. I did like. Uh, I did really like that last shot, though. I really liked that scene of uh, them playing football or something, some type of. It's kind of like this makeshift family that got going. I like that scene of that kind of a very American in the middle of the street as opposed to the middle of a field or something, you know? Yeah. Like the opposite of a Charles Pierce movie. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I really did like that. And I like Beltran a lot in the film. Beltran's an interesting actor. Sometimes I like him, and sometimes I think he's a bit stiff. I agree. Um, but he can, he, can, he can be good when he wants to be. Yeah. And uh, he's interesting, and he, he's, he's very good in this film. And he has a great moment, too. I like the moment where he's looking at the pictures, which is a great moment when he goes back to his mom's house and stuff. Oh, yeah, that is a good moment. And I like that they don't make him piggish. like uh, Yes. Or very macho aggressive and stuff. Like, he's totally respectful of the girls. And, like, he doesn't, you know, you know he doesn't really kind of go for it. Like, if the Michael Bowen character would have survived, <laughs> he would have been, you know, going for it hardcore. But Beltran feels like he's more of an adult. And he's kind of taking these girls on, not only in eventually in a, a romantic way, which I don't think is a spoiler, but this, you know, the Stewart character. But I think that you know he's kind of a, a father figure to her in some ways too. So, which can be attractive for women in some ways, and at least you know some of the women I know. Some women are looking for that in their man. Oh, some of them definitely are, man. Yeah. It's like some men are looking for the mother figure in their woman. So, oh yeah, definitely happens. And me, I'm just looking at mother porn. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with shampoo that's right uh, <laughs> shampoo bottles shampoo bottles uh, okay so what do you got uh, let's see your make or breaks MVTs make or break is the introduction to Catherine Mary Stewart nice she's our lead they set her up perfectly uh, to be strong and capable without being overtly done mm-hmm. likable just just gets it perfect, pitch perfect. Uh, my MVT is how well written the film is. You know, uh, how, how, or I guess more accurately, the dialogue and exchanges between the characters. This film doesn't have a lot of the set PC action kind of rompy stuff happening in it, like I thought it did. But what keeps the film going, even when it stands still a little too much for its own good, is the human exchanges uh, between the characters and the fact yeah. that you do le- you legitimately like Bowen, even though he's a bit of a you know, he's a bit of a hound. You legitimately like Beltran. You legitimately like Stewart. You legitimately like uh, Maroney. At the back end, there's a reveal with Warnoff that is poignant. Or not yeah. a reveal, but uh, something that happens. Right. Um, you know, so I, I think that the, how well written that stuff is uh, is what works for me. Um, and my script film is a 7.75. Nice. Uh, I think it's it's a good film. It's, like I said, I think it's, it's a notch below... Um, uh, you know your *Return Living Dead* and it's not as, yeah, it's not as good as *Night of the Creeps*. I like it more than I like uh, like I can't think of what, but I yeah, I would not put it in the same realm as *Creeps* or uh, *Return of the Living Dead*. No way. I mean, but then again, that that's really like hype fucking praise. Yeah, that's rarefied air. Rarefied air. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about two stone cold classics, really. There, so yeah, but that's I mean, still to be in the conversation is a good thing, um, especially for your first time seeing it. I mean, you're talking about a film that's what uh, 30 years old now, it's crazy to think that it is, but yeah. it is. So, I mean, it's first time you're seeing it, and you know, it, it 7.75 is actually higher than I thought you'd give it. I thought you'd be more around seven territory, 
So you'll be surprised what I give it. Uh, make or break. I like the scene between Stewart and Maroney at the uh, on the underpass or up on the parking lot, whatever it is, nice. where she kind of confessed. I mean, I just think it's a really good and pure moment. So, so many good moments. But I like that intro too that you mentioned because it gives you everything you need in a very limited and easy. Uh, it's very, it's very classic and solid filmmaking. Can I? Sorry, can I actually say seven point five? Yeah, yeah, you can. That's fine. Of course you can. This is your show. <laughs> your show as much as my show. Fitty, fitty. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> we're really starting to get tired now. I mean, my eyes are getting puffy. I've been up since like seven o'clock this morning. Oh yeah. So yeah. I'm tired as hell. Um, and the vitamin water had no caffeine. In it. I didn't do any coffee tonight because I'm gonna crash as soon as we get done. So uh, my MVT. I'm gonna go with the camaraderie between Stuart and Maroney. I guess you could say that's the writing too, but I. I do know from watching the um, the interviews with Maroney and uh, Stewart on the disc that they didn't do a lot of improvisation. So Eberhardt really uh, wrote that script uh, pretty tight. So you know he he really got it down. He really did. I mean it's it's pretty good. I mean he he nails the young people pretty well. So uh, my score for the film is a seven point five out of ten. Oh nice. So yeah, nice. Yeah, I, I don't think it's you know. I don't think it's a great film, but it's it's a very very good cult film. I think that means a lot to a lot of people, and I can see why. And I think probably the most important thing is that I know a lot of guys that dig this movie, and it's very much you didn't see a lot of this type of movie in this era, these female empowerment type films. And I think this is a female empowerment type film in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think a lot of people dig this film that normally wouldn't have watched it. Like I know a lot of guys that I grew up with, they wouldn't watch f- movies with uh, female leads, mostly. Yeah. Um, and even if it was genre based, they didn't really care. But they all love this film, and I think it has a little bit to do with the apocalypse angle. I mean, obviously, an apocalypse angle always adds a certain element to a story, right? And, and you know, we we got lots of friends, and we know lots of people in our lives personally, me and you both, who really dig apocalypse film zombie wise or otherwise and uh, it's it's a it's a very strong story thread when you when you introduce the apocalypse or potential apocalypse i mean it immediately amps everything up 100 yeah, so totally. so you know you but i think what i this film where it works the most is those small character beats this chamber piece in a weird way this kind of growing maturing characters behind this like catastrophe is it's pretty well done, and especially on a three million dollar budget. So, big time, very impressive. All right, that's the big show. We got wide open picks next week, man. Yeah, I'm going to do something fun actually for you. Oh, nice, nice, nice. I got something. You know I've been, I got something I've been wanting you to see, uh, something I've been wanting you to watch ever since I've watched it. So, uh, right. so yeah, uh, we'll get into that in just a second. So yeah, make sure to head over to DiabolicDVD.com and uh, pick up these discs and many others. Uh, they're great guys and they've uh, supported us for a long time now and hopefully we'll keep along uh, and again if you guys get a chance to mention our show over there please do we'd love to know uh, we do know that we are mentioned so that's nice uh, okay so next week uh, we are wide open Large William what's your pick well my pick is you're actually going to pick what I'm picking I'm going to give you one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different cities around the world you're going to pick a city, and I have a movie to correspond that takes place in that city. Oh, that's a crazy game you got going on here, man. Yeah, I thought of this on the way home. Actually, just before I left work. Nice. So your cities to choose from are Bangkok, Thailand, Chicago, Illinois, 
Paris, France, Hong Kong, uh, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, Houston, Texas, Omaha, Nebraska, Rome, Italy, or Los Angeles, California. Hmm. Moment of uh, pondering silence there. I want to go with Omaha, Nebraska, because I don't know what the fuck that is. Ooh, okay. Very, very nice. Uh, we're going to be doing a film that I think is going to really lend itself well to some great discussion. I'm a big fan of it. I'm certain that have, you are a big fan of it. I have no idea what this is. Uh, it's directed by one of my favorite actors. It's got some real powerful performances from favorites of ours. It's Sean Penn's The Indian Runner. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, I haven't seen that in forever. Oh, cool. That'd yeah. be fun. The Return of the Bronson and yeah, Vigo. There we go. Yeah, nice. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I haven't. Dennis I've only ever seen that film once. Same so, here, man. Yeah, okay, cool. So, yeah, I haven't watched that in forever. Oh, cool. Yeah. Give me a great reason to revisit. I've been wanting to revisit it anyway, so. Yeah, same here. So, I wanted nice. to do it with you. Nice. Good stuff. I'll ask you what the Houston, Texas was, was after off the air. In case you want yeah. to play that game again. <laughs> I do want to play that game again. Okay, cool. Um,. I thought about Hong Kong for a minute because I was thinking about leaning uh, toward Asian <laughs> cinema myself uh, because we haven't done an Asian film in a while. So, But I wanted to do a Russian film oh boy. that I had seen a couple of years back that just blew me away and I've uh, been wanting you to see it ever since. Uh, and now we got uh, the free reign to the show back again. Uh, we're going to be covering uh, The Letter Never Sent. Nice, which nice. Is a Russian film. I can't remember the name of the director off the top of my head, and I'm not going to look it up because I can barely see out of my left eye right now. It's so puffy and tired. <laughs> there will be a V somewhere in his name, and a K maybe. Yeah, and probably an O. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, I'm. i I know we're both fans of. Uh, was it I Am Cuba? Uh, or yeah, the film, that's right. That's a, that's a film he directed. I can't oh man, Sergey something. That yeah. sounds like a reach to say, but Sergey's. <laughs> Wait, let me. I'm just gonna look it up real quick. Let me let me look it up real quick, just to be, just to be fair to that director who's no longer with us. But uh, uh, and of course, I typed in the Ketter never said. <laughs> I'm very tired. I didn't involve Cuba. <laughs> Mikhail Kolotsov. <laughs> Sergey, what a cliche I am. <laughs> Mikhail Kolotsov. Yeah, uh, I saw this film. This film's from 1959. I saw this film a long time, uh, a couple years ago now, and I've been wanting you to see it ever since. So awesome! We'll get into that. So that's what we're doing next week: Letter Never Sent and The Indian, Indian Runner. Runner. Nice. And now I got to figure out what I'm going to call this show because uh, I got three films. <laughs> I'll figure it out as I go along. Yeah, no kidding. It'll be fun. All right, so that's a big show. Large William and I are going to go to sleep, sleep for about three or four hours, and get back up. Dream so, about Mary Warnoff? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, possibly. Maybe in the, the professor's clothing. Yes. <laughs> with, that, uh, with that little white radio. Yeah, holding a coconut. Yeah. I'll dream, that, I'll dream that my nipples are those knobs. On a makeshift raft. <laughs> yeah, this, this, night, this night recording stuff has gotten out of control. Ooh, wacky. Oh. All right, uh, guys, until next week, we'll see you. Adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. 